<laughs> that is one big pile of shit. Uh, this could be it. We may be in some multiverse where I don't even exist. Don't knock rationalization. Where would we be without it? Yes, yes. Yes, without the use. To take them, take them out, take them down. Do your, do your stuff. Life uh, finds a way. Hello and welcome to episode 44 of The Complete Works, a deep dive into the career and films of actor Jeff Goldblum. My name is Mike Smith and joining me on this journey into the wondrous world of Goldblum is my friend, co-host and fellow Goldblumaniac, Mike Tricia. How you doing today, Mike? I'm doing uh, real good, I guess, you know, the same same as uh, last week, which is like, I'm fine. I'm fine. As good as you can be uh, in the current state of affairs. Yeah. Do you think I should start phasing out the question? How you doing today, Mike? Because the answer is pretty much always like, well, the state of the world is terrible. But like, personally, I'm okay. Yeah. Like I'm surviving. That's enough. You know, (laughs) that is the important thing. Uh, How are you, Mike? I'm good. You know, kind of the same as you just, uh, you know, trying to be a be a person in the world that is uninhabitable for people right now. Mm -hmm, (laughs) It seems mm -hmm. like Uh, the the week as we're recording, this is uh, inauguration week. Joe Biden's getting inaugurated on Wednesday. Uh, So that's, you know, something to kind of look forward to. But that also means that there's probably a lot of crazy shit that's going to happen this week. Uh, Just the way the last couple of weeks have gone. So uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, like we're going to be releasing this either Wednesday or Thursday and the world could be like drastically different in the next couple of days. It's been that situation for like the last 10 episodes. That's true. <laughs> it's so scary. <laughs> I just want to get off Mr. Bones's wild ride is what I'm saying. Mr. Bones. <laughs> Do you not know that meme? Oh, it's a thing. I guess it's not. For, it's an old uh, the screenshot from Roller Coaster Tycoon. You know how you could used to make be able to make the exit. Yes. pathway lead directly back into the entrance uh and somebody did that and mr bones's wild ride is the name of the ride and they looked at the i can't think of the word the person that like is on the ride you know how you can like check their their like recent thoughts like, or whatever okay yeah 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 and one of them is just over and over and over and over again i would like to get off mr bones's <laughs> wild ride uh and it's become like a reaction image man i used to play that game all the time i can't believe i don't remember that actually <laughs> Wow. Uh, but I used to, I mean, it was, it was the second one specifically. Roller Coaster Tycoon yeah. 2 uh, was the one that I played a lot. I also played a lot of SimCity 3000. But when I played SimCity 3000, uh, the only thing I would do is set up like national monuments and then have aliens destroy them, which segues <laughs> perfectly into the episode that we're going to talk about today. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> You know, that was a game where you could set up a whole city and have like the infrastructure and like spend time working on the piping underground and all that stuff as boring as shit. But the yeah. <laughs> but, like setting up, you know, the well-known monuments and have everything in one city and then you can have aliens come by. Man, that was great. Uh, so speaking of, we're talking about a similarly themed movie today. Uh, like we mentioned at the end of last week's episode. It's a really good time to be Jeff Goldblum. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a few years earlier, Jurassic Park was released, completely revitalizing his career and going on to be the number one highest grossing movie of all time, coming in at like nine hundred million dollars worldwide or something like that. No movie in all of history had ever made so much money. Now, Goldblum has fully reentered the studio system and he appears in a wide variety of different movies that all look to be successful over the next couple of years, right? There's Hideaway, starring role based on a Dean Koontz thriller, Nine Months, which is a Hugh Grant rom-com from the director of massive hits like Home Alone and Mrs. Doubtfire. There's Powder, which looked to be like a potential Oscar contender. They're all moves that made sense for Goldblum, and they all do okay. Yeah. (laughs) They all do fine at the box office, Uh, but it's a couple of years before we see Goldblum fully back in blockbuster mode, and when we do... 
the movie is such a massive hit that it becomes the highest grossing film of 1996, beating out movies like Twister and Mission Impossible. Uh, wow. Yeah, exactly. Also becoming the second highest grossing film of all time. <laughs> wow. He, so he was sitting in one end here. Yeah, exactly. For a little over a year, Jeff Goldblum had the distinction of being a major part of the two most successful movies ever. And then in 1997, James Cameron obliterated the record uh, by about a billion dollars with Titanic. <laughs> Jesus. Wait, he won by a billion or made a billion? Both. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, Titanic made about $1.8 billion worldwide. It was a Holy sh- shit. Like, just a massive leap forward. The very first movie to ever gross a billion dollars worldwide. And Jurassic Park was like 900 million. So it came close. But uh, right. yeah, Titanic like beat it by almost a billion dollars. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> uh, which is why it held the record for so long. The only movie to uh, to beat Titanic. There's only two and they are Avatar, James Cameron's next movie. Yep. Uh, and then Avengers Endgame, which just happened last year, became the uh, the number one highest grossing movie ever or two years ago now, I guess, in 2019. That happened. But uh, yeah, so Jeff Goldblum held the distinction of being in the top two for one year. Uh, maybe it was fun while it lasted. <laughs> That's yeah, a pretty I'm good sure. thing to have. Uh, So there was a lot of hype surrounding the movie going into its release with a huge, memorable marketing campaign and the promise of spectacle like few movies had ever delivered before. And now we finally get to talk about Independence Day. Police and the fire departments are asking. It is morning. You wake up. You greet your loved ones. You grab the morning paper. And although it seems like any ordinary day, it isn't. For one extraordinary reason. A historic and unprecedented event is occurring. The question of whether or not we are alone in the universe has been answered. This is so cool. More ships have just arrived off India. England and Germany. I really don't think they flew 90 billion light years to come down here and start a fight. We've got to stop them! They're going to kill us all! They're using our own satellites against us. The clock is ticking. counteroffensive with a full nuclear strike over American soil. If we don't strike soon, there may not be much of an America left to defend. Being exterminated. Let's kick the tires and light the fires. We're looking at worldwide destruction in the next 36 hours. Oh, you can't hit nothing! That's what I call a close encounter. 
So Independence Day was the brainchild of director Roland Emmerich and producer Dean Devlin. The two of them have been working together since 1990 when Devlin appeared as an actor in Emmerich's film Moon 44. Uh, when Emmerich made the jump to America with 1992's Universal Soldier, uh, Devlin joined him to co-write the movie and then he acted in the same capacity on 1994's Stargate. Uh, so while they were doing press for Stargate, a reporter asked Roland Emmerich why he made the movie if he didn't believe in aliens. And Emmerich went off talking about aliens and ultimately said he was fascinated by the idea of an alien arrival and asked the reporter to imagine what it would be like to wake up one morning to discover giant 15 mile wide alien spaceships hovering in the air. Uh, and then after he basically spitballed this long winded answer to a reporter, uh, he turned to Devlin and said, I think I have an idea for our next movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. That was it. Just kind of came spitballing out of him during an interview. And he's like, hey, that's actually pretty good. Uh, so Emmerich and Devlin, they supposedly wrote the script during a month long vacation to Mexico. And since Stargate had been such a big hit, there were no issues getting the movie set up at a studio. Uh, basically, once they got back, they optioned it on Friday and then by Monday they were already fielding offers for this movie. Like it was already like a surefire slam dunk. It seemed like wow. 20th Century Fox pretty immediately greenlight the production and work began in early 1995. Uh, according to Devlin, the plan was actually to work with the U.S. military on the movie, which is not uncommon. Uh, they work with Michael Bay on a lot of his movies, for example. But the military backed out when they discovered the script touched upon Area 51. Uh, <laughs> Fascinating. Yeah, apparently the government is not ready for us to know about that quite yet. Yeah, that uh, is a, a whole like thing I never really thought about, but I have since listened to like a couple podcasts uh, that touch on this. Not not about Area 51 specifically, but yeah. about uh, like almost any movie that features the U.S. military. Uh, the military gets a pass at the script to edit yeah. it to whatever they want, and then they can allow them use of military, like official military equipment in their movies. Uh, so it's like really interesting and fascinating idea about like the whole culture as military propaganda angle, yeah. <laughs> which we don't necessarily need to get into, but it's uh, think about it. It's definitely an aspect of it, but they did not end up working on Independence Day. There's also a story about how they were supposed to help out with uh, the original Spider-Man movie, uh, and they also turned that down. They like pass on that because uh, they didn't like the idea of uh, Spider-Man or you know what it was? OK, I'm 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 mixing up the story a little bit. It's coming back my, to you in my head. Uh, but the reason that uh, in the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies, uh, he does not have like web shooters. He actually like, comes organically from his hands yeah. is because I think it was the government or the military. They didn't like the idea of a high school kid uh, being able to create technology that they couldn't invent themselves. yet. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and that is why uh, it's organic shooters in uh, in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Kind of a weird uh, thing there. Uh, so, yeah, the whole movie industry working with the government, it's its really weird. There's a lot it of like, weird layers to it. Uh, but Independence Day did not work with the military. It did quickly become one of the most intensive productions ever for its special effects team. Uh, there was some CGI, but most of the stuff you're seeing in the movie was done in camera. Uh, the movie holds the record for the most miniatures ever developed for a film uh, wow. by a lot, by a lot, like more, like I think somebody like actually broke it down and like there are about twice as many miniatures made in Independence Day than about any other movie ever. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> uh, and since most blockbusters today rely much more heavily on CGI on, compu on computers, that's likely a record that's not going to be broken anytime soon. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, but like everything you see, all the like the cars and the buildings and the ships and all, all that stuff throughout the movie. There's so much of them. And, you know, they basically exist just to get blown up uh, on screen. And it's 
pretty glorious. Uh, that's how Independence Day was sold to its audience, promising them a wide scale destruction depicted on screen like never before. Uh, the movie's marketing campaign kicked off with a teaser trailer during a Super Bowl, which ended on the money shot of the alien ship blowing up the White House, uh, <laughs> which became an instantly iconic image uh, that 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 is like the lasting legacy of Independence Day, like that one moment. Like basically sold this movie and made it the second highest grossing movie of all time. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's the poster, it's the uh, DVD cover art, it's the it's everything for this movie. Yeah, instantly iconic, and it was a relentless onslaught of marketing for four months with trailers uh, teaming up with brands like Apple and Coca-Cola and even a half hour special on Fox the weekend before the movie came out, part of which was a news report about the events happening in the movie, like a fake news report. Wow. Uh, (laughs) Like reporters would be talking about the aliens landing and all that stuff. So obviously it worked. The movie had a budget of seventy five million dollars, ultimately grossed about eight hundred and seventeen million dollars worldwide. And as a result, it sort of represents a turning point for Hollywood blockbusters in some ways. Uh, Longer marketing campaigns, the promise of huge spectacle, big ensemble casts filled with famous faces. It's pretty much what we've been seeing for the past 25 years. Uh, Although to its credit, Independence Day was at least an original concept. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's it's crazy that this is such a like special effects, like heavy bonanza and uh, movies cost double that now. Yeah. (laughs) To make uh, that's. (laughs) Terrifying. Yeah, at least double. Is at least. Thing. Yeah, <laughs> I just watched uh, Mulan on Disney Plus, the new like remake of Mulan. They just put mm-hmm. out uh, and that movie. I'm not sure what the exact budget is, but it has to be, you know, above 100 million, probably in the 150 range. Uh, and that movie looks pretty good. Got nothing against it. It doesn't look half as good as Independence Day does <laughs> in just the way in, in its destruction and stuff. It's it's pretty wild. Uh, even like Jurassic Park, that movie had a budget of sixty three million dollars. I was looking that up earlier. And that, wow. so that even had a lesser budget than Independence Day. That is still one of the best looking like special effects movies ever. It's pretty wild. Uh, but speaking of a big ensemble cast with fa- with famous faces, which I guess we weren't speaking of that just now, but. In my copy, that that is what you, we were just speaking did of. Before, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Jeff Goldblum is in the movie. Uh, he is. Just in case people forgot, he plays David Levinson, a satellite engineer who intercepts the alien signal and becomes integral to the fight against the alien invaders. Uh, his father, Julius Levinson, is played by Judd Hirsch from Taxi, and he's also along for the ride. Goldblum is trying to reconnect with his ex-wife, Constance Spano, who's played by Margaret Collin from Gossip Girl, and she just happens to be the White House communications director, now the president in the movie, and probably in the conversation for one of the best movie presidents ever, uh, yeah. is Thomas J. Whitmore, played by Bill Pullman from movies like Sleepless in Seattle and Spaceballs. Those are my <laughs> Those are my two Bill Pullman pulls yep. <laughs> right there. Uh, his wife, First Lady Marilyn Whitmore, is played by Mary McDonald from movies like Dances with Wolves and Donnie Darko. They've also got a daughter, Patricia, who's played by a very young Mae Whitman, who was Anne on Arrested Development. Uh, wow. And she was in the TV show Parenthood also. Uh, surrounding the president, you have the great character actor Robert Loggia, uh, who is in a lot of things. Most people know him from Big. That's kind of the big thing. Uh, he plays General William Gray and another great character actor, James Rebhorn from My Cousin Vinny and uh, Sleepwalk With Me, the Mike Babiglia movie, uh, as Albert Nimzicki, the Secretary of Defense. Uh, the movie moves the action to Area 51, where we meet Dr. Brakish Oaken, played by Brent Spiner from Star Trek The Next Generation, and Major Stephen Mitchell, played by Adam Baldwin from Firefly. Then there's a Vietnam veteran who claims he was once kidnapped by aliens, uh, and he finds his way into the final battle, too. That's Russell Case, played by Randy Quaid from the Vacation movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this was a time when, like, Cousin Eddie could be an integral part of your Hollywood blockbuster. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Too bad about Randy Quaid, though. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) 
but you know, in the like, we're we're in a solid Randy Quaid period back then. Like, yeah. you know, late eighties, early nineties, totally fine to have Randy Quaid pop up. Uh, he's got three kids in the movie. Miguel Case, played by James Duvall from Donnie Darko, and Gone in sixty seconds with Nicolas Cage. Alicia Case, played by Lisa Jacob from Mrs. Doubtfire, and uh, Troy Case, played by Giuseppe Andrews from Detroit Rock City and Cabin Fever. Uh, Goldblum's got a coworker who's freaking out about the aliens in New York. He's Marty Gilbert, played by Harvey Firestein from Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, and uh, I feel like I forgot to mention one major cast member. Yeah, uh, there's a guy named Will Smith in this movie. (laughs) Will Smith played Captain Stephen Hiller, an Air Force pilot who joins the fight against the aliens. This is the movie that turns Will Smith into the biggest star on the planet right here. Right. That's what. Yeah, that's what I was watching it this time around. uh, Like kind of stood out to me like, oh, yeah, this is like this is the beginning of Will Smith as an action movie star guy. Yeah, this is 1996. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air has just ended. Like Fresh Prince ends in 96. Like imagine May 96. Fresh Prince is over. July 96, Will Smith's an Independence Day. Like, that's, that's wow. the timeline here. And the year before this, he had a pretty big hit with Bad Boys. And so basically, he, like, blows up after this. It's the reason everyone knows who Will Smith is now. The line can be drawn straight back to this movie. Uh, plus, his, his buddy in the Air Force, Jimmy Wilder, is played by singer Harry Connick Jr., uh, who's also acted in a few things, like Will and Grace and the Iron Giant. Uh, his girlfriend, Jasmine, is played by Vivica A. Fox from Kill Bill and Set It Off. And her son, Dylan, is played by Ross Bagley, who also played Nikki on Fresh Prince. He was the uh, youngest kid on that show for the last couple of seasons. Uh, So, yeah, like I said, big cast in Independence. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Uh, And it also sort of turned Roland Emmerich into a name synonymous with disaster movies. Uh, After this, he'd do the American version of Godzilla with Matthew Broderick. And then he'd also be behind the camera for The Day After Tomorrow and 2012. Uh, And he'd ultimately (laughs) come back for the sequel to this movie in 2016, which one day we'll talk about uh, Independence Day Resurgence. Yes. Yeah. Have you ever seen uh, Resurgence, Mike, the sequel to this? No, no, I didn't bother when it was in theaters. I wasn't particularly interested. You know, I I had like a vague interest in it because I was like, oh, a sequel to Independence Day. Like, sure. And then I didn't see it. And then like a year after it came out, it was on like HBO Go. uh, And I came home drunk one night and I put it on. And uh, I made it through about a half hour of the movie before falling asleep. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and so I remember nothing from that first half hour. So one day I'm excited to actually dig into it one day, but uh, we won't get there for a little while. Most recently, uh, Roland Emmerich directed the 2019 World War II movie Midway, uh, which I kind of wanted to see and then didn't kind of like yep. Independence Day Resurgence. And he's currently working on a very Roland Emmerich sounding movie called Moonfall, Can you guess the plot of Moonfall based on the title Moonfall, Mike? Well, I would think that the moon falls. You would be correct. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Uh, It's going to be Halle Berry and Patrick Wilson, and uh, it has a one-sentence plot on Wikipedia right now. Strangers must band together to save Earth when the moon suddenly falls out of orbit. Amazing. I can't wait for that. That's the kind of movie I want to see Roland Emmerich make. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm in. So Independence Day was released on July 3rd, 1996. Good day for it. Uh, (laughs) And opened at number one with $50 million. Only one other movie decided to open that weekend, and it took third place. Phenomenon with John Travolta was the was the big opener. Also in the top 10 that week were The Nutty Professor with Eddie Murphy, uh, Disney's The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Eraser with Arnold Schwarzenegger, The Rock with our boy Nicolas Cage. Hell yeah. Striptease with Demi Moore, uh, a Mike DiCrescio babysitter movie. Twister was in the top 10 there. (laughs) Uh, The original Mission Impossible. And finally, The Cable Guy with Jim Carrey rounding out the top 10. <laughs> what an absolutely stacked top 10 that week. That is a banger top 10. That right? is. I would watch <laughs> really good. every one of those movies at any moment at a moment's notice. 
Yeah, exactly. So that's that's pretty great. That was a good summer right there. Uh, the IMDb plot synopsis for Independence Day reads the aliens are coming and their goal is to invade and destroy Earth fighting superior technology. Mankind's best weapon is the will to survive. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. I, I like the plot synopsis reads like a tagline for the movie. Yeah. <laughs> like that should just be on the poster for Independence Day, which, by the way, had some pretty awesome taglines. Uh, my favorite being uh, at the bottom of the poster. Don't plan for August. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so good. Uh, but all right. So Independence Day, this is a movie that I've seen many times, uh, but it, it had been a while since I actually sat down and watched it. Like, it's one of those things that I feel like. You know, it would just be on cable all the time and you would watch Independence Day kind of thing. Uh, the last time, according to Letterboxd, that I watched this movie was 2016. So about five years ago. And it was like July 3rd, 2016. So I think it was on cable <laughs> and like, you know, it's Independence Day. We've got to watch Independence Day kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and that was like right after Independence Day 2 had come out. So I was like prepping for Independence Day 2 or something. I don't know. I had plans to see it and then never did. I, I don't know exactly what happened. But uh, that was the last time I actually sat down and watched the start to finish uh, before that. You know, it's just kind of one of those movies that's been like, I, th- I think I was like nine or ten maybe when I saw Independence Day for the first time. But I've always liked the movie and I've always thought it was like kind of dumb, but just the right kind of dumb, yeah. I guess. Uh, so, Mike, you've seen Independence Day also, I assume. Yes, yes I have. Yes. <laughs> uh, so what are your overall thoughts on this movie? I mean, what did you think about it going into it? And did watching it again make anything new for you? Anything new happen for this movie for you? Um, yeah, I mean, I've seen this. This is a movie. Same thing with you. That's just kind of always been there, particularly in our age bracket. Um, this is just yeah. came out a couple of years after we were born. So it's just always been around. Um, and yeah, I've seen it a billion times. Probably it's like you said, absolutely is one of those just like on TNT movies, um, right. you know, that you would scan past and watch 25 minutes of kind of deal. And yeah, so I mean, I've seen it a whole bunch before, so it was pretty fun to go into it, like just on a comfort rewatch movie kind of level. Um, yeah. And the thing that I didn't really remember a whole lot is, you know, I knew it is super long, um, you know, is it's two, it's a two and a half hours or two and 20 or something like that. Yeah, just about. And I think maybe this time I felt it a little bit more. I kind of thought that this was sort of always like just a big, dumb action blockbuster, which it absolutely is. It's all of those things. But like the first 45 minutes of this movie, like whip, like it is out of control. The aliens show up in 15 minutes, I think by 45 minutes is when they blow up all the stuff. Uh, And I was like, holy shit. But then, and you know, that's like you said, like kind of the money shot of the movie. And then it just kind of slows down. And like, we have to go to Area 51 and we have to do the whole thing and like blah, blah, blah. And it's fun and cool. And like, obviously this ensemble is awesome. And it's just cool to see all the different plot lines bouncing around from the people with the on Air Force One and Area 51. And then the, you know, the way everything kind of comes together and culminates in this massive just uh, well, one, the speech from Bill Pullman, and then two, yeah. this giant air air battle, which like, I don't know, fighter jets fighting alien ships like ah, that's fucking cool, man, no matter what. <laughs> uh, so like, you know, then the last 20 minutes or whatever are really fun and exciting. But there, there's definitely a, mo- a bit where it starts to drag a little bit. And I was like, OK, let's get to the part where Randy Quaid flies this jet into the thing and everything blows up. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, overall, it's Independence Day. It's very fun. It's kind of weird that this is sort of like like the Roland Emmerich movie. And then like kind of the only one <laughs> that's good. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that is kind of the thing. Like, I'm generally not a big Roland Emmerich fan. Like I've seen a few of his movies. I've seen Universal Soldier, which is decent. Dash Tomorrow is OK. 10,000 BC, one of the most boring movies ever made. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that one. <laughs> I haven't. Uh, he also did The Patriot with Mel Gibson. That was oh, another one of his. That. 
he did a, a Shakespeare movie, Anonymous, in 2011. Mm-hmm, I don't know mm-hmm. if you remember that one. And then there was, you know, Independence Day 2 and uh, Midway, I heard, was OK. But yeah, that, kind of the ceiling from most Roland Emmerich movies. Is like, yeah, that's all right. That's fine. Yeah, uh, <laughs> shit blew up and it was cool. Yeah, I was actually listening to an episode of Blank Check recently where they're talking about Stargate. The episode's about the movie Stargate. I love Stargate. Uh, I've never seen Stargate. I actually almost watched Stargate like a few months ago <laughs> um, <laughs> because I, you know, there was one day like a couple of years ago, uh, a coworker was getting rid of a lot of their DVDs and CDs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so she brought them into the office and just had like a big box of DVDs that anybody could take. And so I took a bunch of DVDs that I didn't have or didn't hadn't seen before, like all those kinds of movies. And Stargate was one of them. And I was like, oh, cool. One of these days I'll finally get to watch Stargate. And then Stargate like came up in my rotation, you know, because mm-hmm. I have like a, a mental rotation or like I have I figured things out like based on like, you know, analytics or whatever. Like, <laughs> when am I going to watch Stargate? Exactly. I have a, a mental algorithm in my head. And the time came to finally watch Stargate. I took the box. There's no disc inside. No. <laughs> I'm so sad for you. Yeah, exactly. So there was no disc inside. So I had to move on in my rotation and go to something else. Uh, so I've not seen Stargate for I that have, reason. <laughs> I have a lot of nostalgia for Stargate uh, for one specific reason. It was a friend of mine uh, in college. We were like both having like sad boy day out, like afternoon. We were just like, hey, you want to just hang out and like be sad? And he was hanging out. And then uh, we threw on Stargate and got high and ordered Pad Thai uh, delivery. And like, that was the best afternoon ever. Uh, that so sounds good. <laughs> every now and then we text each other like, hey, watching Stargate. And we're just like, yes, like <laughs> nice <laughs> this connection we have. It's great. There you go. The, the Stargate connection. I exactly. like that. Yeah. Uh, have you ever seen any of the Stargate TV shows, Mike? Because like that, it was like an unlikely thing where like four or five different shows spawned out of the movie Star- Stargate. Yeah. Uh, no, I've never seen any of them. I know they, they exist, though. OK. Yeah. So anyway, this uh, this blank check episode, they're talking about Stargate and uh, they're talking about Roland Emmerich, like in general. And Griffin uh, kind of boils it down to basically saying, well, he's Spielberg for morons. Uh, <laughs> and I think that does kind of get to the heart of it. Like he wow. loves the spectacle and the wonder in what Spielberg achieves. But where Spielberg generally has like some deeper thematic territory he's exploring or character work he wants to build or something like Emmerich generally seems content to blow shit up. Uh, yeah, and, absolutely. And and that's also fun. Like he and Michael Bay came up around the same time in the 90s. Uh, and it's around that time you see blockbusters start to evolve into kind of what we have today. That said, Independence Day rules. <laughs> uh, like I said, it's a movie I saw a lot as a kid. Definitely sat down and watched the whole thing a few times, but it was mostly uh, it played on cable a lot kind of thing. And I would kind of pop in and out of it. Uh, so, yeah, it's been about five years. And I was surprised this time by how well it holds up. I guess yeah. for me. Uh, and I think you are absolutely correct. The first hour or so of this movie, like everything up to the point where all of the uh, stuff explodes in L.A., New York and D.C., it's incredible. Yeah, <laughs> it's really good. Uh, and it's like breathlessly introducing so many characters and each one feels distinct and it's clear they're all going to play some part in the larger narrative of the movie, uh, even if some of them feel kind of removed from it at the moment. Like, you don't know how like Randy Quaid's going to factor into all this at the beginning, but right. you're kind of fascinated to be like, oh, he was kidnapped by aliens a couple years ago. Like, what's that going to mean? And all that stuff. And the movie does a really good job of making it feel like a truly global event, too, uh, because it's not just America. This is all happening. 
starring in. Uh, and I think this is in many ways, this is like a, the ultimate like American wish fulfillment movie where like somebody attacked us and we're going to go get them back and yeah. that kind of thing. And the, the president jumps in a fighter jet and starts shooting missiles and all that stuff. Like it's it's a very like <laughs> jingoistic movie in that regard. But it does make sure we're constantly updated about what's going on around the world in Russia and Japan and Iraq and France. And the end of the movie is all these places coming together to form one big counterattack, uh, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty, it's interesting. I can't believe now that you've told me that the military wasn't involved because <laughs> um, <laughs> it absolutely feels like it. Uh, yeah. And it is kind of like it is interesting. Like you kind of get like I think it is pretty uh, well done, like the way that like it's kind of just given in updates like, oh, we got word from Moscow that this has happened or like you see like the news report in the background yeah. and like stuff like that uh, until the Americans figure out the like figure out the plan and they're sending it out in Morse code. And then we get that montage of like all the different people around the world. Like, yeah. Oh, the Americans have solved the problems and it's like, okay, all right, <laughs> calm down. Like <laughs> take it easy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But that first hour is great. And I think you are right. It does kind of slow down in the middle. Uh, but I still really like, I mean, everything in the area 51 and the stuff surrounding it, like all that stuff I think works really well for me. And then that last 30 minutes are just like nonstop. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> moments. Like, you know, I was picturing myself in a movie theater watching this and uh, I've never seen this movie in a theater. This movie came out when I was three years old, but I was picturing being in the theater with a packed crowd watching this and imagining the audience reactions and like the cheering and the wild applause. Like I was almost doing that on the couch, like by myself yeah. uh, watching Independence Day. Like I could just imagine like, you know, the point where you got that big close up on Randy Quay and he shouted like, hello, boys, I'm back. Like yeah. I could see a theater just like standing up and applauding, like a standing <laughs> ovation in the theater. <laughs> It's so good. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that's kind of the scene that like, uh, you know, that's a another image that's sort of like burned in my head is like that yes. close up of Randy Quaid and the blue light, uh, like <laughs> shouting that out. Oh, man. So, so good. So, yeah, I do think it's, it's a, you know, a little bit of a dumb movie. There are definitely moments that are silly. And the last 40 minutes does hinge on alien technology being compatible with Goldblum's MacBook. Right. Uh, but that's like sort of the charm. It's like big, dumb, fun spectacle. Uh, and I, I had a really great time watching it again. I think it holds up really well. And it's a great crowd pleaser movie, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It definitely falls into that category of like just the big comfort on time movie. Uh, so what did you think? of Jeff Goldblum in Independence Day, Mike. I guess, what have you thought about Goldblum over the years? And uh, watching it now, in the context of this podcast, where you've seen the previous 43 Jeff Goldblum things. That's right. Uh, <laughs> what did you think of him in Independence Day? Um, you know, I thought I, my memory of this movie, of his role specifically, was that it was like kind of small. Like, I knew that he did the, the virus thing at the end and like that whole yeah. stuff. But like... He's the second character I think we're introduced to, right? Is it the the president first and then Goldblum? Yeah, he's he's one of the first ones for sure. Yeah, uh, and he's like pretty present throughout it. Like he's definitely like the third lead or or one of the three leads, which was pretty cool. I thought he was just kind of like this background guy, like he sort of is in Jurassic Park. Or I mean, even that he's the third lead too, I guess. But yeah, uh, has a lot less impact on the plot and stuff. So I thought that it was going to be similar to that. But I, he was more present in this movie than I remembered him being. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like when people think of this movie, they think of Will Smith yeah. or they think of Bill Pullman, right? They're like the two guys you think of the most when you think of Independence Day. And Goldblum doesn't really get like any of the really iconic scenes, but like 
He's really good yes, in this yeah. movie, like really leading into the tech guy persona. And also, I think, acting more reserved than he is in something like Jurassic Park, where Jurassic Park, he's allowed to kind of just kind of go wild and talk it like, you know, talking really fast and like really riffing on everybody. And, you know, he gets some of that in there in this movie, too. But, you know, he's playing more of the uh, traditional hero, I guess. Like he's playing that hero's journey of somebody who is taking on the challenge of somebody who is not part of something and then becomes part of something. And he's integral to the entire plot of the movie by the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's the one that figures out the countdown uh, and everything and then figures out the the virus. Um, yeah. And, it, and the movie really plays into his like kind of uh, nebbishy, like neurotic ca- ca- yeah. characteristics a lot, which is very fun. Uh, getting to see him and um, I forget his name. The guy that plays his dad. Uh, oh, Judd Hirsch. <laughs> Judd Hirsch. Uh, them together is like the per- like I think that might be Goldblum's real dad. Um, like they are perfect <laughs> together. Uh, so that, that's a lot of fun. But. Along taking that ride, as I was just laughing, there is humor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's an actor that you play opposite who plays your father. He's just, I think it's his debut. I'm not sure. Oh, no, Judd Hirsch. (laughs) Judd Hirsch, he's been in many movies. No, I'm just just joking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's spectacular, isn't he? Isn't he? Oh, so funny and so human, real, touching. He's great. He's great. And the whole idea of the film is to have this feeling of reality, uh, like the longest day in World War II movie. Mm. Mm. Uh, and he brings that. Doesn't I think he? he brings that to the film. Yeah, I do too. I do too. They tried with all the characters, I think, to make them, you know, real and mm-hmm. not superheroes. And you know, and uh, and I love Judd's character and our whole relationship. It's very it's... sweet. And you know, he gets on my nerves. But finally, as father and son, we kind of have a wonderful and emotional kind of, uh, you know relationship yeah yeah definitely and Goldblum just like works well with everybody in this ensemble especially Will Smith yeah uh, and that, that like last half hour when it's like Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith in the spaceship and they're bantering back and forth the entire time like I can't believe we didn't get more Goldblum and Will Smith movies after this yeah. you should have been the guy in Wild Wild West and that would have been a good movie man that would have like changed that movie around entirely if, yeah. if, if you insert Jeff Goldblum into Wild Wild West you got Will Smith Jeff Goldblum a giant spider Kenneth Branagh, what more can go, go wrong? Yeah, absolutely. What, more can go, what more can go right? Yeah, true. Uh, but uh, yeah, so yeah, it's kind of a bummer that they, they never made any more movies after this uh, together because they're so good, like just working off each other and all that stuff. But I also think largely without realizing it, I think I may have modeled a lot of my wardrobe on Goldblum's in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> just a lot of open flannel T-shirt shirts. Yeah, it's stuff. a lot of like plain, plain T-shirts with an open oversized flannel on top of it, wearing jeans. He looks comfy. He does. Uh, <laughs> throughout this movie. Uh, and that's something that I... I end up wearing a lot, especially in the winter months. So, uh, yeah, that was <laughs> cool to see that in my mind, like a subconscious thing where it's like, I really want to look like Jeff Goldblum in Independence Day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so how do you think this movie fits into the roles that we've seen Jeff Goldblum play so far, Mike? Um, well, first off, there's a uh, scene of surgery in uh, Area 51. So I got to mention Threshold. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> got to throw that in there. And then there's also, you know, some a bunch of sci-fi stuff we've seen so far or sci-fi adjacent. So Invasion of the Body Snatchers, sure. uh, Buckaroo Banzai, Earth Girls Are Easy, even though that's comedy, but aliens, that kind of thing. Uh, and then, of course, you know, Jurassic Park, where he's the, um, the highest grossing movie of all time. Major blockbuster, large ensemble cast. There Same deal. Uh, yeah, and it is a, a very this is a very different movie than Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah. But that is the one that like came to mind the most. It's Goldblum facing off against an alien invasion, uh, yeah. which, you know, that that's like a paranoid thriller. And this is like a big budget, you know, 90s disaster movie, which kind of like recalls 
the uh, disaster movies of, like the 70s where you have like a bunch of famous faces just kind of thrown in there right. to see the destruction and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, so Goldblum is facing off against an alien invasion here. And also Buckaroo Banzai, another one that aliens are invading the Earth and all that stuff. And then Goldblum plays the alien and Earth Girls are easy. Right. Uh, so the, you get all sides of, <laughs> of aliens throughout Goldblum's filmography. Uh, I don't think we've had a movie yet, though, where someone has played Goldblum's father, though. I was, I was thinking about that and like looking through. Uh. I don't think we've ever seen anyone play Goldblum's dad and uh, Judd Hirsch, I think, is the first one. So, yeah, yeah there you go. Not, not only is he like a perfect fit to be Goldblum's father, he also might be the, uh, that might also be because we've never seen anybody play Goldblum's father before. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. We've seen we've already seen Goldblum play a dad uh, in Fathers yes. and Sons. Uh, of course. But yeah, he's never had a dad before in the movies. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Also, uh, Goldblum reconnecting with his ex is uh, also what he does in the movie Framed. Uh, and what he wants to do in nine months. Yeah, yeah right. that's part of it, too. Uh, and then the very end of this movie, too, with uh, Will Smith and Goldblum walking in the desert after they crash land, uh, felt very much like Chuck Yeager surviving in uh, the right stuff uh, wow. at the end of that movie. <laughs> definitely, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely uh, a Chuck Yeager vibe to a lot of these characters, to the pilots. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, I mean, Will Smith is just... Man, Will Smith's the coolest in this movie. Oh, <laughs> you watch this and you can see like, oh, yeah, that makes sense that Will Smith became the biggest star in the world after this. Yeah. Anyone <laughs> that could yell welcome to Earth uh, that perfectly. Yes. Like was after destined punch, for greatness. Punching an alien in the face and then saying welcome to Earth. Uh, so, so good. Uh, and then after this was Men in Black. Like it was uh, wow. I, think, I think it was Bad Boys 95, Independence Day 96, Men in Black 97, Enemy of the State 98. That's like four Jesus. really good, like a really solid streak. That Will Smith had going in the 90s. And then Wild Wild West happens in 99 uh, and it all gets derailed. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he still makes some good movies after that. But like that's like really like the peak Will Smith years, I think. And then it's like Ali in 2001, I think is like uh, his kind of foray into dramatic territory. He's got Men in Black 2 in 2002. And then, you know, there's there's movies after that. Pursuit of Happiness was a big one for Mm -hmm, him, I think, mm -hmm. in in 05. Hitch. Hitch was a big one. Yes. uh, For Will Smith. That's that's uh, another one. Hancock. No, there's <laughs> all right. You're just listing Will Smith movies. We're going to run down the Will Smith movies. Seven pounds. Yeah, we're just listing Will Smith movies at this point. But uh, the, the point is, he's been in a lot of movies, you know, uh, although he's, I think, been more selective as an actor uh, in the last, like, you know, 10, 20, 10, 15 years. Like he used to be like the big blockbuster guy. And then he kind of, you know, moved into being a dramatic territory guy. He wanted to be like pursuit of happiness. Like he wanted to win an Oscar and never really has. And then, you know, after a while he was trying to make movies for his kids. Like that was kind of what yeah. his focus was with uh, Jaden and Willow. And they made after earth together, uh, which that's a rough movie. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen after earth. It yeah. is uh, I saw that in theaters and it's, it's not good. <laughs> not, not a good movie. Uh, but yeah, he, but he took like a few years off and I remember he turned down Django unchained. He was, he was going to star in Django. Wow. Uh, uh, as Django, obviously. And uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that was like that, that. He was Quentin Tarantino's first choice and he turned it down because it kind of messed with like like Will Smith kind of cultivated an image of like sort of the family man kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and Django was uh, not exactly the movie to play into that image, mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess. Although after that, I mean, he did like the like Suicide Squad and Bright and like, you know, a little bit grittier action movies, too. So I don't know. It's it's all over the place. I think he's like an Instagram star now. Right. He has like an Instagram <laughs> show. Yeah. I don't know. He's got enough money to do whatever he wants so he's this just is true. he's just living yeah i did hear that the uh, the fresh prince reunion that did in hbo max is pretty good i didn't watch it nice um but there you go so yeah will smith though i mean this this is like peak will smith territory and he is so so good in independence day but uh yeah let's run the movie down scene by scene mike just uh kind of start from the beginning and go all the way to the end i feel like this might take a while because there's a lot that happens uh, <laughs> we can we can do the highlights day. we don't need to do every scene oh we're doing every scene oh, <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. Uh, exterior, the moon. <laughs> uh, I think my favorite thing, when I, when I started this up again on HBO Max, which, uh, by the way, there's also an extended version of this movie on HBO Max, uh, which I did not know about. Like, I, like yeah. I played the theatrical cut, and then after it finished, I saw in the extras, there was the extended version, which is like 10 minutes longer. Uh, so I don't know what's in that extended version, but I can tell you that Independence Day probably does not need to be any longer than it already is. <laughs> probably not. It's more exterior no. shots of Nakatomi Plaza. <laughs> exactly uh, oh is that the building the that's fox, the building they're on in la yeah because it's the fox building <laughs> so gotcha. where where they uh are on the helipad you know with like the yeah yeah okay man I, I didn't even realize but yeah cool uh so i think my favorite thing when i first started the movie uh is that i noticed that even the opening credits explode yeah yes <laughs> Like as soon as you as soon as you hit play, like it says 20th Century Fox presents Kaboo! <laughs> Script. Um, so the opening credits are exploding. It is July 2nd. Uh, I think this movie does a pretty good job of like really distinctly placing you in act one, act two, act three by being July 2nd, July 3rd, July 4th. Yeah. Uh, and so July 2nd begins and shadows are cast over the moon. Uh, you see like the plaque that like Neil Armstrong left there. And it's, you know, the saying like peace for all mankind and all that stuff. And then you see a spaceship and then cuts in New Mexico where REM's It's the End of the World as We Know It is playing, yeah. uh, which is great uh, <laughs> music cue there. Uh, somebody in a lab discovers some strange signals and that they're coming from the moon. Yes. The great, great stuff. I love it. I love I love uh, people running through halls carrying papers, which we saw Goldblum play in The Right Stuff. Uh, was that yeah, guy? That's true. <laughs> um, Absolutely. You know, frantic phone calls in the middle of the night. That's just exciting. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So then you cut to the Pentagon. Right. They basically are, you know, tracking these signals and like figuring out what's going on. Um, they're like, well, there's a meteor strike. Like, what's going on? It's like, it's not a meteor. It's slowing down. <laughs> All that stuff. You know? <laughs> there's a lot Every of line of death. There's yeah. a lot of exasperated scientists in this first 15 minutes <laughs> just trying to figure out what this could possibly be. Uh, and then you see President Whitmore, Bill Pullman. He's in uh, Washington, D.C., in the White House. Uh, meanwhile, his wife is in Los Angeles and they're talking about they're talking on the phone and being like, oh, man, I hope you get to come home soon and all that stuff. Uh, and you see like TVs playing in the background and they're saying his approval ratings are way down. Mm-hmm. They're like, you know, he's people thought they were hiring a warrior. He fought in the Gulf War, but he's a wimp in Congress and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. All that shit you could put in the mid 90s movie. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, when, like imagine if this movie was made in like 2020 or whatever, and it's just like all the background things are like, yeah, well, he, you know, goaded on an armed insurrection in the U.S. Capitol. Yeah, he is just a <laughs> Nazi. So yeah. <laughs> turns out. So, yeah, luckily, this movie was made in 96. We don't have to deal with that. Yeah. But but yeah, so that's all happening. And then that's when you meet Goldblum. Yeah, so you're right. It's Whitmore first and then Goldblum. Uh, and Goldblum is playing chess in Central Park with his dad. Yes. Uh, so he and Judd Hirsch are there and you get like a lot of quick hits about Goldblum's character very quickly he's been divorced for three years he's still wearing his wedding ring and all that stuff he likes to recycle uh yeah he's a fucking <laughs> nerd a surprisingly big part of his character is that he wants everybody to recycle uh and he's you know playing chess with his dad which sets up like a, a recurring thing in the movie where he keeps saying checkmates yeah over and over again very dramatically in that Goldblum way <laughs> yeah but it's, it's it's such a good character exposition moment or not even exposition, but like how he lets Judd Hirsch like play himself into checkmate kind of just like, yeah, I'm just going to do my, I'm doing my thing and you're going to fall into my trap. Basically (laughs) like setting up that he's smart enough to figure out all this stuff. It's very good. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, So after that, 
we cut away over to California, Imperial Valley. Uh, the day the Earth is still is playing on TV. Another nice, <laughs> nice touch. reference to what's about to happen. Uh, and you meet Russ, that Randy Quaid. He is a crop duster and he's crop dusting the wrong fields. And he's just a big fuck up. He's a drunk and nobody likes him. Yep. And all the people in town at the diner make fun of him. Yep. OK, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that happens in a little bit, actually. Oh, uh, but like, you know, because it's always it's cutting back and forth to so many different uh, yeah. <laughs> things. Uh, but Russ has cropped us in the wrong field. And uh, now you're cutting back to the Pentagon and they're saying that spaceships are now entering the atmosphere in 25 minutes. Right. Yeah. Uh, and they mentioned it's happening in Iraq and in Russia. Uh, and then in California, I, I had written down in my notes that a plane flies into an explosion but I forgot the context for why that happens. it's the um, military. Uh, I can't remember, like the, the like weather observation plane, like they send it to figure out what's like wh- okay. where they're where they are in the atmosphere and they can't see through the clouds and they fly into the ship. Yes. OK, that's what it is. Uh, so, yeah, the plane like explodes and that's your first like those are your first deaths in the movie, I guess, yeah. really. Right. That's that. That's it right there. And so, you know, Whitmore, like everything's going crazy over the White House and Whitmore is trying to figure out what's going on. But he, and they're trying to evacuate him, getting him to leave the White House and go into like the secret bunker or whatever. But Whitmore's saying, no, I'm not leaving. The people need me. They need somebody to, you know, address the nation. And Robert Loggia is like, I'm worth you, Mr. President. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Spot on Loja. Yep. Uh, there was a, an old commercial that like just went viral on Twitter uh, the other day, but it's like this old like uh, got milk commercial or something okay. uh, with Robert Loja. And it's like this like little kid who's like seven years old. It's like, I don't want to drink my milk. And the kids and the parents are like, well, who who could get you to drink your milk? It's like, I don't know, Robert Loja. And then Robert <laughs> Loja enters the room. <laughs> what? And it's like, hey, Billy. <laughs> Your milk is really good for your vitamins and all that stuff. It's like, wow, Robert Loja. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> Amazing. I've never seen this before. Yeah, I, I had like vague memories of seeing it when I was a kid, but obviously I had no idea who Robert Loja was at that time. Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, pretty great. Uh, I mean, honestly, for the longest time, my main association with Robert Loja was that Family Guy joke where he's standing in an airport. Uh, have you seen? <laughs> no. You, you you've never seen that? That's like a, that's like, that was like a thing that me and my friends used to do, where it's like Peter's standing behind Robert Loja at the airport, and it's like, okay, uh, can you write, write write your names like Robert Loja? R as in Robert Loja. <laughs> o as in oh my god, it's Robert Loja. <laughs> and he just keeps going on like that for like the rest of his name. Uh, Amazing. <laughs> Pretty good. Uh, but yeah, so Robert Lowe just stays with President Whitmore and there are ships heading towards New York and Washington, D.C. Goldblum's office is in New York and everybody's evacuating. Harvey, Harvey Firestein's freaking out. He's calling his mom uh, in that like very like loud Harvey Firestein voice. Yeah, he's doing the voice. <laughs> yeah, honestly, between Fire- Firestein and Lozier, there's some great gravelly voices going on. Yeah. In this movie. Uh, but Goldblum's office evacuates. And uh, then there you have the scene of the diner where uh, the other people are making fun of Russ. Right. And uh, it, it's kind of revealed that he was kidnapped by aliens 10 years ago, or at least he claims he, he was kidnapped by aliens 10 years ago. Nobody believes him, obviously. And then the diner starts to rumble <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, oh, shit, maybe Russ, maybe Russ is right. Um, but then, you know, more ships arrive and you have this great like montage of like shadows being cast over the Hollywood sign and the Lincoln Memorial, uh, Will Smith's house. Yep. You know, the three biggest monuments uh, in the U.S. I do love the scene, though. I think it's coming up or at this point. I don't quite remember, like when Will Smith like wakes up and like gets out of bed and he's like looking out the window yes. while he's peeing. and He's like, man, neighbors, one earthquake and they're trying to run. And like is somehow just like completely oblivious to like the utter chaos going on around the block. 
uh, until he goes out and gets the newspaper and then notices that it's like, OK, man, come, uh, open your eyes. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It is really funny. And that happens like pretty much right then. He finally wakes up. And as he's leaving, he's like going to get the newspaper and he like trips over a bike on his way out there, uh, which is a very fun like little character moment. But then he like sees all his neighbors freaking out and then looks up and sees the ship. It's like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then like Jasmine comes out with a Fox and she's like, oh, hey, you want your coffee? And he's just like, it's basically the same scene as uh, Sam Neill and Laura Dern and Jurassic Park seeing right. the dinosaurs for the first time, uh, except this is much more terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> than that. Uh, and, you know, her reaction to the ship is really is, is a really good like reaction. Like, oh, my God, face. Yeah, uh, so that's that's fun. Uh, and yeah. And meanwhile, Goldblum in New York is watching all this from the roof. You're seeing the panic in the streets in New York. People are looting and, you know, people are getting out of their cars and like running into each other and all that stuff. It's pandemonium over there. It's like Left Behind. Remember the movie Left Behind? <laughs> yes, the Nick Cage movie where the plane <laughs> crashes almost yes. into him three times. Yeah. Uh, or his daughter, I think. <laughs> anyway. Yep. Um, yeah, I thought that scene. The one thing this movie does really well is like they throw that like, oh, these ships are 15 miles wide uh, exposition out there. And then yeah. uh, they do a really good job of that sense of scale, I think. Like there's that one yeah. shot where Goldblum, you know, everyone's running to the basement because there's a bomb shelter under the building or whatever in his office. And he's like, I got to see it. And he goes up to the roof and it's like that wide shot of him coming out of the door onto the roof of the building with Central Park behind him. And you see just yeah. how tiny Goldblum is as the ship comes in over top. And it's like, this is the coolest fucking movie of all time. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. It does a great job with scale and it's a great job of giving it weight too. Yeah. I feel like I feel like there's so much uh, CGI stuff in the last like 10, 15 years of blockbusters that feel entirely weightless mm -hmm. um, where you feel like you're watching you know, something that was generated in a computer and doesn't actually have any like, you know, gravitas or weight to it, I guess. And uh, this, I think partially because a lot of them are miniatures yeah. uh, and there's an actual like physical thing that you're actually shooting with the camera. Like it looks awesome. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it looks great. Yeah, I think some of the like CGI stuff, because there is some like this is a mix. Uh, yeah, looks a little dated. Like like I think particularly sure. like in the big, very beginning when like the moon and like all that stuff. I was like, man, I don't know. I don't know about this. Maybe because like that is the one thing for this movie that like in my mind was like this. The special effects held up really well. And I was watching it. I was like, man, maybe a little less like it's I think <laughs> Jurassic Park is still like the pinnacle of that sure. somehow is still the best looking movie ever. And Independence Day is a little bit less. But the miniature stuff is incredible. Yeah. And there there's a few scenes where like it's very clear there's like you know, ships flying, but it's like in front of a green screen or something and it looks a little off and yeah. all of a sudden, like it looks layered, I guess. Um, but yeah, I think for the most part, it does hold up really well. Uh, and then there are a few moments like that. You're right. Uh, but yeah, all this is happening. Ships are arriving in London, in Moscow, in Paris. Uh, Goldblum tells Harvey Firestein to pack up and leave town. Goldblum has like intercepted a signal and he's he's figured out what the signal is. Uh, and it's a countdown. Uh, and Harvey Firestein's like, a countdown to what? <laughs> to, to what? That sounds a lot like you I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> you are not wrong, but he's like a countdown to what? And, you know, Goldblum's like trying to figure out like, well, you know, they're, they're creating a preemptive strike. They're, you know, moving all across the uh, world and all the major cities in the world. And he compares it to chess and then checkmates. Right. Spacecraft. I know, my Just try and stay calm. Tell her to pack up and leave town. Why? What happened? Just do it. Ma, ma, listen, oh, get your stuff together and uh, head for Anastasia. Don't argue with me, just go. David, why did I just send my mother to Atlanta? David, 
David, talk to me. You hear me tell you that the signal hidden in the satellite feed is slowly recycling down to extinction? Not really. Countdown. Countdown. We can't get to what, David? Uh, it's like in chess. First, you strategically position your pieces. Then when the timing's right, you strike. See? They're positioning themselves all over the world, using this one signal to synchronize their efforts in approximately six hours. The signal's gonna disappear and the countdown's gonna be over. And then what? Checkmate. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god, I gotta call my brother. I better call my housekeeper. I gotta call my lawyer. Ah, forget my lawyer. So he, t- so he tells Harvey Firestein to, you know, call his mom, tell her to get out of there, right. get, get out of the city, evacuate and everything. And Harvey Firestein is, you know, just kind of fast talking and very funny. And he's like, oh, I got to call my brother. I got to call my dad. I got to call my mom. I got to call my lawyer. Ah, forget my lawyer. And he- <laughs> I, I love that moment because it's very clearly ADR to say forget. Yes. Which I, they must have said fuck. In the oh yeah, he did. That, that actually, if you look at the, uh, it's in, it's in the IMDb trivia page. He did say fuck my lawyer, uh, and then they cut it out to uh, keep it a PG thirteen rating. Amazing! <laughs> it's so obviously ADR too. It's hilarious. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, he tells Firestein to get up and uh, leave town. The signals a countdown, and uh, Goldblum calls his ex wife, uh, who turns out to be the White House communications director. Uh, so she's been with, with Whitmore this whole time. Yeah, I think I feel like that reveal is actually done very well because uh, yeah. I forget exactly the beginning or like the scene right before. And I think it's that scene where he's talking to Firestein. Uh, but then they cut to like the press briefing going on at the White House and somebody comes up to what's the, her name? Constance? Con- Constance? Constance. Constance yeah, comes up to her yeah. with the phone. It's like, oh, it says it's your husband. And she's like, oh, it takes it. And then it cuts back to Goldblum. And you're like, what? Yeah, like, <laughs> it's such a cool reveal. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And so, yeah, he calls her and, you know, he's trying to tell her about the signal, but she's not really buying it. Uh, And Whitmore addresses is addressing the nation to stay in your homes. Like, that's the best thing you can do at this point. Or to if you're going to leave the city, please evacuate in an orderly fashion. And as he says that, it cuts away to like pandemonium in the streets. Yeah, it's just utter (laughs) chaos. Total insanity. And then Will Smith decides he's got to report for duty. Uh, you know, it's his, it's his weekend off, but it's like, I got to do like I got to get in there and figure out what's going on. Uh, and Jasmine's upset that he's leaving, but he's like, I got to go. It's my duty. Uh, it's a pretty good exchange here where she's like, you know, you are not as charming as you think you are. And Will Smith's like, yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Will Smith. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Absolute star making role for Will Smith right here. Yeah. So much charm, so much charisma coming out of Independence Day. Uh, and so Goldblum. In New York, he grabs his dad and they're driving to Washington, D.C. Uh, it's pretty like a good exchange where like Russ is like driving really sl- or uh, not Russ. Uh, his dad is driving really slow in the fast lane and it's like, Dad, we got to go. We got to step up the pace. It's like, what? You think Washington won't be there when we arrive? And then they kind of look at each other like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> oh, it's very good. <laughs> So, so good. Uh, and then you cut back over to Russ, who is on the news and they're talking about him. He's like a Vietnam vet and, you know, all that stuff. And they're trying to leave where they are. There's this guy trying to sleep with Russ's daughter. <laughs> he's like, oh, you don't want to die a virgin, do you? And he's like, come on, get out of here. That kid was in, I think, uh, Heavyweights or Camp Nowhere. He's in one of those oh, yeah? movies. Yeah, that actor. That is that kid. And I was like, oh, it's that guy. And I have no idea what his name is or anything, <laughs> yeah. but he's in one of those movies. Nice. And then, you know, Will Smith is at, uh, you know, his military base and there's a letter from NASA uh, and he's talking to Harry Connick Jr. And, you know, he opens the letter and it's a it's a letter rejecting him from the space program. I guess he's trying to be an astronaut and it's not really working out for him. Uh, and then he's talking about Jasmine of K Fox and he bought her a wedding ring. And Harry Connick's like, man, NASA's not going to take you if you marry a stripper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> you gotta get that exposition out there. Yeah, and then and then after that, I think it cuts away to Vivica A. Fox at the club, yeah. like you know, just dancing, and like nobody's paying attention because they're all watching the news. Yeah, <laughs> I like the idea that there'd be people like. I mean, I guess there would be <laughs> at the strip club in the morning, uh, you know, <laughs> during an alien invasion. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so all that's going on. And uh, now there's like people partying at the spaceship sites. <laughs> yes, <laughs> this is, this is a, a, and watching that, I was like, I think a few years ago when I saw this movie, I was like, that's a really dumb plot development. That would never happen. And now watching it in 2021, I'm like, that would absolutely happen. <laughs> It's it's one of those things that was like, oh, this is from before 9-11, because like these people just get onto the roofs of buildings like, yeah, you can just go to the helipad on the roof of a building, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I, I, in one of our letterbox reviews, I'm going to read later in the episode. Uh, it does make a really interesting comparison to uh, this movie being a pre 9-11 movie and uh, the Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds uh, being a post 9-11 movie oh. and how different those two movies are in the way they depict destruction uh, yeah. and stuff like that. Like th- when Independence Day came out, this was like, you know, escapist fantasy. Right. <laughs> right. This was the destruction of all the monuments. It was like unthinkable. And then like once 9-11 happened, like the entire thing just completely changed. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, which is kind of wild. Yeah, it absolutely is. Like, I don't know what the initial reaction would have was uh, like to that. to those images but like yeah. it's shocking when they blow up the white house and it's like oh na- yeah or at least now i don't know if it was like big fun clapping moments i guess it was if it was the poster uh you know uh, <laughs> when it first came out but it is it is like the last instance of that kind of thing i guess in movies yeah it was especially weird watching this like you know a couple of days after the capitol building riot just yeah. happened <laughs> you know like all that stuff where like uh, like disaster almost happened like two weeks ago basically yeah. there, there was a lot of like narrowly avoiding like really terrible like live streamed stuff that could have been like happening in real life uh and it didn't thankfully it, it, it was weird watching this basically and like there's a scene where you see the capitol building blowing up and it's yeah. like oh man that's that's weird <laughs> it's weird to watch that now yeah yeah thank god we don't get to see i mean it's the empire state building in the new york sequence or uh, as what gets yes. blown up uh oh man can you imagine if it was the twin right? towers like how have, like they, they, they would never show this movie on cable like ever, ever again yeah like that scene <laughs> would absolutely be, be cut if it was <laughs> But all right, so they're they're partying over at spaceship sites. One person's like, "Bring back Elvis," yeah. and all that stuff. And uh, so Goldblum gets to the White House. He hacks into his wife's cell phone right. using his hacker skills. Uh, and you know, he and his uh, dad get into the White House. Like she brings them in. Uh, I did like uh, Judd Hirsch being like, "Oh, I'm about to be the president. I wish I knew I was going to be here. I wish I was wearing a tie. I look like a shemiel." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, just Hirsch. a very excessively Jewish uh, Goldblum father, which was really great. And then uh, you kind of hear some backstory about Goldblum and Whitmore and how they got into a fight in the past because Goldblum thought that his wife was having an affair with (laughs) with the president. And it's like, you got into a fight with the president? Like, he he wasn't the president then. (laughs) Yeah, today, I mean, I I couldn't quite pick up on it uh, earlier in the movie, but like, Judd Hirsch constantly calls him like, oh, you just think you went to school to be a cable repairman. Uh, But like, obviously, he's not a cable repairman. Is he like in the government somehow? Like, because obviously he fought the president before he was the president. Well, I think he fought. I mean, he fought the president because like his wife was connected politically to the president and stuff. Okay. But I think with Goldblum's thing, he studied at MIT for like eight years or something like that. And then I think his job in the city is not necessarily cable repairman, but I think it's working for a cable or satellite company. OK, yeah, uh, it just seemed like it was one of those like top. He has to tell him he's a cable repairman. Uh, yeah, because he's like f- working for the government or somehow. 
Uh, <laughs> like that whole that the whole bit too, or before when he like hacks the triangulates the cell phone and stuff, and John Hirsch is like, "You can do that," and he's like, "Oh yeah, all, all cable repairman can do this." Uh, and he's like <laughs> yeah. doing the hacker guy thing. Um, yes, it's fun. It's fun. So he tells Whitmore about the signal and about how it's a countdown, and then helicopters start approaching the ship in DC. I think it's in DC is where this is happening. Uh, and the helicopters start approaching the ship, and this blue light starts shining like, in the side of the ship, and then suddenly. They blow up the helicopter. Yeah. They're going to do the uh, close encounters thing with the lights. Yes. Yeah. They were, they were going to try to do like a visual contact with these uh, aliens and it's not working. So the copters blow up and it's the indication like, oh, shit, we got to get out of here right now. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Uh, meanwhile, Jasmine's co-worker, Tiffany, from the uh, strip club, uh, she decides to go to the party at the ship uh, in L.A., uh, even though Jasmine asked her not to, said she had a bad feeling about the whole thing and all that. She goes to the party uh, and then she's there. She's watching from the roof and the ship starts to open and Goldblum's countdown stops. Yes. Countdown that's on his computer just hits zero. Independence Day. Yes. Uh, Roland Emmerich. I think is the right pronunciation, or Roland Emmerich, you may say, uh, is a wonderful fellow and a, uh, a lovely director, and I enjoyed working on that. Judd Hirsch, of course, is my dada in the first one, chess playing dada. I save the world. Remember what I say when I'm looking at the thing? I go, I, I think this countdown means something else that nobody else means. Uh-oh, 10, 9, 8, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Time's up. And then, boom! <laughs> <laughs> The uh, the tower in L.A. gets blown up. Uh, Tiffany gets killed there. Nakatomi Tower. Uh, yeah, Nakatomi Tower. And then right after that, Empire State Building gets blown up. Harvey Firestein gets killed. Yep. <laughs> uh, he's there like in the car watching the explosion come at him. And he's just like, ah, crap. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then the most iconic shot of the movie, the White House getting blown up. And then you also see the Capitol building getting destroyed, too. Uh, and it's not just the buildings that are getting destroyed. Like the entire cities are decimated after this. Yeah. yeah, it's the fucking coolest thing ever. And it's why CG is bad, because these are all miniatures getting blown up. And you could tell yep. it's real physical things. Uh, and it looks yes. awesome. Uh, and I'm so glad that they did that for this movie. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I was like reading into like a specifically the White House shot where it is like they created like this like 10 foot scale model of the White House. Like it looks perfect. It looks exactly like it. And they like put like 40 rounds of explosives like mm. all around this 10 yes. foot model. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it took them like a whole day to set up and then suddenly it just exploded it and it went boom and it was awesome. <laughs> it's really cool. <laughs> yeah yeah they got they got the shot they needed uh and it's the thing that makes like you said it's the iconic thing from this movie yeah i think without that it would be a lesser movie yeah it's it's the kind of thing where like every even if you haven't seen independence day like you know that shot like you've seen that somewhere before even in like a, i think the first time i ever saw that shot actually was in austin powers 2 um <laughs> Because there's a scene where Dr. Evil is threatening the government or whatever. He's threatening with the president and its council and stuff like that. Uh, and he's like, and I will. I want one million dollars. And it's like, oh, and what if we don't uh, give it to you? It's like, well, then this will happen to you. And he like <laughs> hits a button and the clip from Independence Day happens. Yeah. <laughs> like plays where the White House blows up and everybody freaks out. Like, oh, my God. And it's like, oh, no, no. Actually, that was just a clip from the movie Independence Day. But it's going to be a lot like that. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. So I'm pretty sure that that was my first exposure to uh, to that image. That's right. Honestly. But all right. So the White House is destroyed. Every, like New York and L.A. all decimated. There's a, a sequence of Jasmine running from the explosion in Los Angeles. Uh, and she and the kid, they like <laughs> this is like the most ridiculous scene in the movie, actually. <laughs> but it's like she's running from the explosion uh, and there, there's pandemonium everywhere. And she sees this like locked closet in the middle of a tunnel. Yeah. 
And she like kicks the door open and she and the kid like get inside and like the dog is like running behind, like just kind of sit, sitting there in the middle of the street. And they're like, Boomer, Boomer, come over here. And you see Boomer like jump over like three or four cars yeah. as the explosion uh, almost hits him. But then he makes it into the closet and they survive. Yeah. In case you needed to be <laughs> absolutely certain this was a PG-13 summer blockbuster. Uh, the dog survives. <laughs> the dog lives. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Boomer survives. And that's the important thing. Uh, and then from there, hard cut to July 3rd. <laughs> well, we also we see the uh, the first lady helicopter get blown up. We see. Uh, oh, yeah. The like Air Force One runway race with the uh, explosion in D.C. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, a lot of good stuff there. Uh, so, yeah, July 3rd. Statue of Liberty is down. All the cities are in total ruins. Uh, and yeah, Whitmore's wife's helicopter never made it out of L.A. Yeah, so Will Smith is over at the the fighter base and uh, he and Harry Connick Jr. They're getting ready to fight some aliens. Will Smith's anxious to whoop E.T.'s ass. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Basically, like every line Will Smith has in this movie is either like really badass or really charming. Like, yeah, <laughs> like that's what it is. Yeah, I love I love uh, him and Harry Connick Jr. together. Like, that's just so much fun. Uh, like when Harry Connick Jr. does the whole like preacher or reverend thing right. uh, before they go into like when they're already flying. It's fucking awesome. Yeah. Shit. What's the other uh, thing that Harry Connick Jr. Says there's like one like kind of mantra that he has. And it's like light them up, smoke them out or whatever, like something along I those forget. lines. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's really fun uh, while it's happening. So they send these fighter jets up to the ships. Like, you know, obviously they have to retaliate now. They got to, you know, send their people out to take down these alien ships. And this is America. So we can do that. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so these fighter jets are sent up to the ships and they start firing missiles. But then it turns out there's an invisible shield. <laughs> no, <laughs> it has no effects. Uh, this move was rendered ineffective. And then they start firing the shields there. And then a million alien ships get deployed and they all have shields. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like everything that. And I think what I like about this movie is it really makes it seem completely hopeless for humanity to win up until like that final Hail Mary play in the last act. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. There's no way they come back from this. Uh, You know, they just the aliens immediately destroy that like squadron of fighters. Yes. Uh, It's awesome. Yeah, it's really, really great. And that's when uh, Will Smith and Jimmy, they have two of these aliens following them. Jimmy gets killed in the uh, in the attack. R.I.P. Jimmy. Uh, And the aliens also attack the nearby army base, too. So all their like, you know, supplies are just completely destroyed as well. Uh, But then Will Smith leads one of them through the Grand Canyon through with some sick maneuvering. Hell yeah. <laughs> Being that badass pilot that he is. Uh, and he ejects from his plane and like, you know, the parachute, like the parachute comes up and, you know, the, it's covering up the aliens like a uh, <laughs> windshield and stuff like yeah. that. Uh, so he ejects and uh, the alien crash lands uh, and like Will Smith kind of lands near him and he's just shouting and taunting at the alien like in the <laughs> yeah. desert. It's awesome. It's like, yeah, I'm the man. <laughs> It's the coolest shit ever. It's so great. And he goes over to the ship and the door opens and the aliens like about to lunge out at him and he punches it in the face and knocks it out and says, welcome to Earth. Oh, uh, the coolest shit. And in that moment, America fell in love with Will Smith. That's basically yeah. what it is. And then um, and then that almost overshadows the moment immediately after that, where uh, the aliens knocked out. He takes out his big cigar and starts chomping on it. And he's like, now that's what I call a close encounter. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I knew there was another line right after that, and I couldn't. I didn't write it down because Welcome yeah. to Earth is so powerful, right? And yeah, it was fucking awesome. It's so so good. Uh, and so after that, you see a scene where uh, Jasmine's like kind of exploring the ruins of Los Angeles, and it's her and her kid and Boomer who survived, which is great. Uh, <laughs> and she finds a truck, and she finds the keys inside the truck, and so she and the kid and the dog can start moving. Uh, meanwhile, Goldblum's on Air Force One. He's getting air sick, and Judd Hirsch is like, "It's Air Force One. You still getting air sick?" <laughs> like, yeah. All that stuff. And uh, also Judd Hirsch has one of my favorite lines in the movie right here, too, uh, which is after Goldblum like, leaves it like to go puke or whatever. And Constance is uh, is talking to him, uh, Goldblum's ex-wife. And she's like, well, love was never our problem. You know, it's all about ambition. And it's like, all you need is love. John Lennon said that smart man shot in the back. Very sad. <laughs> <laughs> it was also really funny. That is very funny. too. Um, um, <laughs> Right before that, when Goldblum is like getting sick, when he's doing that whole thing, and he's yeah. like, "Look at me, steady as a rock. We could be going up or down, left or right." <laughs> yeah. And they're like, "It's like a, like a, a comedy routine, or yes. they're like moving." Uh, very funny, so so good. Uh, and this is when you learn that the aliens have also taken out NORAD, the vice president, and the Joint Chiefs of Staff. They're all dead. Uh, and then the possibility of nuking the aliens comes up, like actually sending their nuclear weapons out against the aliens. And Goldblum shouts out against it. He, and again, Goldblum. He cares about the planet. He recycles. That's right. <laughs> he recycles. He puts that Coke can into the recycling bin. And you should, too. Uh, but yeah, Goldblum shouts out against nuclear like nuclear weapons. He warns them of nuclear winter and all that stuff. And then uh, Julius, Goldblum's dad, brings up Roswell and Area 51. And he's like, you you had this all the time. You had all this knowledge and you did nothing about it and all that stuff. And uh, Whitmore assures him there's no such thing as Area 51. I don't know what you've heard, but it's all, you know, mythology. It's all fantasy. And then... James Redporn has the best line reading in this entire movie. <laughs> yeah. Outside of the speech, outside of the iconic Bill Pullman speech. You know, Whitmore is assuring him there's no such thing as Area 51. And then the camera goes over to James Redporn and it starts zooming in. And he's like, Mr. President, that's not entirely accurate. <laughs> yeah. We must launch. A delay now would be more costly than when you waited to evacuate the cities. No, no, you're not going to launch nuclear weapons. You're going to kill them and us at the same time. If we fire nukes, then everybody else who's got to fire them. You know what that means? Fallout. You're you're nuclear winter. It's the end of life as we know it. Do you hear what they're talking about? Don't even think about it. I don't have to go. It can't be allowed. Captain, get him out of here. Hey, hey, don't tell him to shut up. You'll all be dead now if it wasn't my David. None of you did anything to prevent this. There's nothing we could do. We were totally unprepared for this. Ah! Don't give me unprepared. Come on, Julius. It was what, in the 1950s or whatever, you, you had that uh, spaceship? Dad, no, Dad. Dad. Yeah, that thing that you found in New Mexico. Dad. What was that? Not, not, not the spaceship. Was that Roswell? Roswell, New Mexico, yeah. No, you had the spaceship and you had the bodies. They were all locked up in a, in a bunker. <laughs> Where was that? David. I don't know. A- Area 51, right? Area 51. You knew then. And you did nothing. Sir, regardless of what you may have read in the tabloids, there have never been any spacecraft recovered by our government. Take my word for it. There's no Area 51. (laughs) There's no recovered spaceship. Oh, excuse me, Mr. President. That's not entirely accurate. What? Which part? (laughs) <laughs> oh, so good so good and I, I really love Redhorn's character in this too it's just this slimy like uh, he's he's basically the lawyer from Jurassic Park uh, in this movie yeah. he's, he's the guy that exists for you to be like yeah fuck you guy <laughs> fuck you get fired um, 
Yeah, yeah. He's just like this power hungry, like sniveling little asshole. Yes, absolutely. Like he wants to be the president and he's, you know, trying to, you know, make whatever moves he can to uh, further his career and all that stuff. But yeah, so he finally tells the president about Area 51. He knew about this this whole time. Meanwhile, Boomer finds the first lady. (laughs) Right. Uh, like Jasmine's like investigating the wreckage and uh, so they find the first lady and like her the down chopper and she joins Jasmine and the kid and all that stuff. Uh, and then you see Will Smith dragging the alien through the desert, uh, <laughs> which is another great scene where he's just like yelling at the alien like while it's knocked out. And it's like this was supposed to be my weekend off. I could have been at a barbecue right now. Yeah. And what the hell is that smell? Um, <laughs> so good. Which was an improvised line, by the way. Uh, really? Yeah. I guess the reason for that is because there was actually a really bad smell outside that day um like wherever they are in the desert right there there's some kind of like animal carcass that just like is all over the place like there's a lot of like dead Mm. dead animals like you know buried within the sand or whatever and it creates this very pungent like really gross smell (laughs) where they were filming and nobody told will smith about it so like while they were filming he's like and what the hell is that smell uh and they left it in the movie (laughs) Amazing. <laughs> yeah, there's also a thing where uh, they all everybody got a terrible sunburn on this on during the shoot of that scene. Uh, I can believe it, even though they were all wearing like long sleeve shirts and long pants, uh, because I guess the sun like reflects off of the sand and it went right up their pant legs and it burned their oh. legs. I think they're on like the salt flats or maybe. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that's what it is. Yeah. Interesting. That's yeah. terrible. That sounds awful. Yeah. I would be so mad. <laughs> Like you took all the precautions. Here we are in long pants and everything. And yeah, Will Smith got like a really bad sunburn on his legs uh, during that scene, which is pretty great. But uh, Will Smith finds a convoy of RVs uh, and he hitches a ride with the alien. Uh, And in this convoy, I don't think you see him in this scene, but Russ and his team are in this uh, convoy, right? I think you know that they have like packed up and are driving across the desert with the convoy, but I don't, I don't quite remember exactly. Yeah. If you see him in this scene or not. Right. I I think I thought actually, He's the one that yells, I think, do you need a ride, soldier? He's the one that stops. Is he Is he the one that stops? Okay. Yeah. Uh, never mind. I, th- I thought it might have been, but I thought it might have been just like some random dude. But yeah. All right. So now we're at Area 51, right? And uh, like we said, this is kind of where the movie starts to slow down a little bit. Like, again, well, that, that first like hour up through the destruction, incredible. <laughs> yeah. Just a really good like tension building, like ratcheting up, like what's going to happen? And then it finally just releases uh, with the destruction of those big three monuments. And now we're at Area 51. And again, I think all this stuff is still really good, but it definitely is not like as intense as that first like hour of the movie is. Yeah, yeah, like, it's still cool. It's interesting. Brent Spiner is like one of the best parts of the movie. Uh, yeah. And like just this whole uh, idea that like, yeah, Air 51 is real. Uh, they kept it hidden from the president yep. uh, and everything. And they've had this alien ship and it's all fucking cool and fun and awesome. Uh, but it is just like slow compared to the first hour, which is like constant action. Like you said, ramping up of tension and everything. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Speaking of Brent Spiner, uh, Dr. Oaken, based on the visual effects supervisor for Stargate, um, (laughs) apparently apparently that guy's name is also Oaken. uh, And and Emmerich, uh, you know, just based this character uh, on that guy, like his mannerisms and the way he looks and stuff like the crazy wild out hair and the glasses and stuff like that's. It's based on the special effects guy from Stargate. So amazing. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Adam Baldwin showing them around. Whitmore was not informed about this. You know, Redhorn's explaining like, well, 
plausible deniability, Mr. President. You know, we don't want to if, if word about this did come out, we don't want you to be implicated in that and, you know, all that stuff. Uh, so they meet Dr. Oaken and he tells them they've been reassembling the Roswell UFO since the 60s. Uh, and you see the big UFO, like the one that landed in Roswell, New Mexico. Uh, and he's like, oh, and like the last 24 hours have been so exciting uh, <laughs> with everything. And right. Whit- and Whitmore yells at him like exciting. That's not the word I would use. Yeah, I love uh, the scene before that, too, when he when Whitmore is like, how did you how do you guys get funding for this? If you, nobody knows about it. And Judd Hirsch is like, you don't think they pay thirty thousand dollars for a toilet, do you? Like <laughs> you, everybody, like the guy that reads the National Enquirer knows. Yes, it's uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. pretty funny. Absolutely. He's talking about how the UFO, like since the aliens reemerged, it's been like starting to, you know, lights that weren't working for years are suddenly working and all that stuff. Like things are happening within the ship that they're like studying and it's cool for them. Uh, and then there's a vault of dead aliens that they show. They have like three dead ones like on mm-hmm. display uh, and they believe they communicate through telepathy through like ESP basically like that's kind right. of what they're figuring out and Whitmore is basically putting all his faith in Goldblum now uh, like Gold, like he wants Goldblum to come up with a solution to figure out what to do about these aliens and he says like we'll see if you're as smart as we all hope you are <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a very good line. Yeah, it's a very good line. And it's, I do like there's like that animosity between uh, Whitmore and Goldblum that never fully goes away. Uh, yeah. Even by the end of the movie, like at the very end, uh, Whitmore like sees, sees him and is like, not bad, David. And like that's the yeah. best he can do. <laughs> yeah. And then Will Smith arrives with the live alien. And uh, that's a very exciting event. Uh, I'm not sure it's ever explained how Will Smith knows about Area 51, like how he knows where to go. He says that uh, when they pick him up in the truck, he's like, I saw I saw a military base in this direction. And, and Randy oh, Quaid's okay. like, it's not on the map. And he was like, trust me, it's there. Because he, when he flew through the uh, Grand Canyon, he gotcha. saw it. Gotcha. Okay. That, that, that must have been what it is. I, I, I thought it was just like Will Smith knew a lot more than he let on about it. Like, yeah. you know, he was a much higher ranking officer than, than I thought or whatever. But, uh, but that does make sense. Okay. Uh, and so he arrives with the live alien. And uh, you basically get the news that at the rate all the aliens are going, Every major city in the world will be destroyed within 36 hours. That's that's yes. what we're looking at now. That's the stakes that are happening. Yes. In, the, in this movie. <laughs> uh, and so you have a scene where uh, Jasmine, who's still, you know, out in the ruins of L.A. and all that stuff. And the first lady, they connect, uh, you know, they have this scene and she's like, it's like, oh, what do you do? It's like, oh, I'm a stripper. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. It's like, don't be. I'm proud of it. And all that stuff. And it's like, oh, you knew I was the first lady. Like, yeah, I didn't want to make a big thing about it. About it. I voted for the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty fun. Pretty solid. Uh, and then there's the scene where they dissect the alien. Uh, yes. And this is a very cool scene. The alien splits open while they're dissecting it. Uh, and this screeching sound starts happening that starts affecting Oaken's mind. Right. And then the yeah. alien kills all the doctors in the room. It's basically the Doc Ock scene. From I was just Spider-Man thinking that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It is basically that Doc Ock scene, although this was obviously before that. Yes. Uh, but yeah, he kills all the doctors in the room and then the screeching starts affecting Whitmore, too. Like they're seeing like the alien on the outside and it starts pressing Oaken up against the glass. Yeah. Uh, so like Brent Spiner's face just pressed against the glass and he's communicating like he's got his tentacles like, around Oaken's neck and he's like using Oaken to communicate and saying like, release me. Right. <laughs> You know, and all that stuff. There will be no peace. And it's like, and they're like, what do you want us to do? Die. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's cool. It's fucking cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so the screeching starts affecting Whitmore, uh, and they all open fire on the alien and kill it. And then 
Whitmore reveals that he was able to see the aliens thoughts because of that screeching. Uh, and he sees like, you know, they're ba- basically their entire plan, like uh, where they're going in all the world and like all the cities they're destroying and how they're exterminating us and all that stuff. And then he decides, let's nuke the bastards. Right. Uh, and obviously Goldblum is upset about this because he's the only one against nuclear war in this movie. Apparently. apparently yeah. Uh, I think Robert Loggia is like a little bit on the fence about it. Right? I, is he? I mean, I think maybe, but like once, once Whitmore gives the go, like Loggia's in. Sure. I, I mean, I think Loggia will do whatever Whitmore says, but I think he's on the fence about it. Really? Redhorn's the one who's like really going for nukes. He's like his yeah. first instinct is like, all right, we got to nuke him. <laughs> <laughs> this is our chance. Let's nuke him. Absolutely. Uh, and so Whitmore decides to go for it. And Goldblum's obviously upset about it. Uh, and he starts drinking pretty heavily. And uh, he and Constance have a scene where they talk about their past and how, you know, she left him because of her ambition, because she wanted to, you know, be a part of something special. They're like, didn't you ever want to do that? And he's like, I was part of something special. Like, That's their marriage. He's talking about their marriage. <laughs> Oh, poor guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so Go- Goldblum is, you know, in a bad place right now. Uh, and then this is a really weird scene where um, Will Smith hijacks. Uh, is it a jet or a car? It's a truck. Is it, is it a truck that he takes? Uh, I don't even remember. What are you talking about? <laughs> Will-, Will Smith leaves the base and finds Jasmine. Oh, yeah. Right. And so he takes like, a tr- I guess the truck that he takes. Right. I guess so. Yeah. He like he's hijacking a truck. Uh, and then this one guy tries to stop him and is like, sir, I will fire. And then Will Smith looks at him and is like, do you really want to shoot me? And the guy's like, ah, (laughs) (laughs) I can't stay mad at you, man. Like you're Will Smith. How can I shoot you? (laughs) Right. Like that, that moment is like just short of like, you know, a little sparkle happening in Will Smith's eye or something. A little, ding. (laughs) and then him driving away. But uh, yeah, so he takes, I guess a truck and uh, Whitmore calls to deploy the nuke. And so there's the scene where like the ship kind of goes towards the alien ship, the mothership, uh, it looks like it hits the ship. They send the new guy and it looks like it hits and everybody's celebrating like, yeah, we did it. And then turns out the ship was not destroyed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After all. Uh, and Red Horn's like, well, we got, we should open fire, fire more of them. And Whitmore decides, no, we're calling them back. Uh, and that's the, the end. It seems like that was like their last hope and it's not going to work. And then Hiller finds Jasmine. Will Smith finds Jasmine. I don't know how he did. <laughs> I think he goes to the old Air Force base that where he was stationed because that's where she goes and finds it destroyed. And I think that's where they just are. Uh, And then he goes back. He also goes there. Okay, yeah, but it is like it's I I guess he went out to look for Jasmine and like find out where she is. But maybe that was like they're like, I feel like that's not like super well communicated, like how exactly like he knew where to find her and all that stuff. But uh, he does find her. Uh, There's a really solid line where they get to he gets there and Jasmine's like, you're late. And it's like, you know, I like to make an entrance, baby. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And so they bring Jasmine back. They bring back the first lady and Whitmore gets reunited with his wife. But she's bleeding internally and she dies in the next scene. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Only to succumb to her wounds. Yes. Very, very sad. And I did. I did like the the actual the scene where like their daughter like goes up to the the mom and is like connecting with her and being like, oh, I missed you so much. And all that stuff like that's actually it's very good. (laughs) It's a really solid heartstring pulling scene. Uh, And then you find out that she's bleeding internally and she will die in like a matter of minutes. Yeah. And then when Whitmore lies to her and is like, oh, the doctors say you're going to you're going to pull through. And she's like, I know you're lying. Stop. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's emotional. It's good. Definitely heartstring pulling. And then, you know, after that, he like goes out into the hallway and uh, his daughter is like, is mommy sleeping? It's like, yeah, mommy's sleeping. Cut to July 4th. Yeah. (laughs) 
Uh, so we're ending act two on like this, you know, moment of great tragedy, personal tragedy for Whitmore after the massive tragedy that we saw at the end of act one. So, you know, we, we've gone from, you know, full scale tragedy to personal tragedy. And now we got to come back from this. We got to pull out a win in act three on July 4th. That is what Independence Day is all about. I mean, yes, you're right. You're not wrong. Um, and so July 4th starts and uh, drunk Goldblum is making a mess in the building. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's the first thing you see. Like he's, uh, you know, making a mess in the building uh, and he's just throwing garbage everywhere. And Judd Hirsch is like, what are you doing? And it's like, if we make enough of a mess, maybe they won't want the planet anymore. <laughs> yeah. Throwing stuff all over the place. Yeah, I like that when he's like listing all the like. It's so weird that people think climate change is like not a human thing because like he lists all the stuff we fixed already, like the yeah. ozone layer and the rivers and like a bunch of shit. He's like, we gotta do, we gotta pollute everything, we gotta burn the ozone layer, we gotta like undo all the stuff we've done to save or reverse some of the climate change we've caused, uh, and then they'll go away. But then people in the real world are like, no, we can't do anything. It's not a, we don't affect it. It's, uh, <laughs> Guys, we've already done some. Yeah, <laughs> stop. Exactly. We, we've done some and we can do more if you would yeah. just let us. Um, but yeah, drunk Goldblum making a mess. Julius, his dad, gives him a pep talk and is saying like, hey, you know, when the chips are down, we got to get out of the air. Like, and then he inadvertently gives him the idea to plant a computer virus uh, yes. by saying like, you know, you're, you're not even wearing your flannel. I don't want to get I don't want you to catch a cold. Yeah, get off the floor. You'll catch a cold. He said, yeah, basically. Uh, and then Goldblum realized like cold. Cold. That's a great idea. Uh, and he gets out of there and he gets right into like Goldblum computer hacker mode. And it's the next scene is really fun where th- this is where it like starts ramping up and it just gets like more exciting as it goes on to. Uh, I think I think that's part of the great thing about this movie. And I, th- I do think act two like, you know, drags a little bit. But like that first act, it's all like tension and tension. Like what's going to happen? Holy shit. And then the release of. Oh, my God, they destroyed everything. Act two is like, OK, picking the pieces up from that a little bit and then ending on this note of personal tragedy. And then act three is like, all right, upward trajectory. The entire thing is just nonstop. This is getting really, really exciting, really fast. Yeah, that whole uh, like this whole moment is very fucking cool. And I did kind of like the uh, like wink nod to War of the Worlds because they aliens all die from the common cold in that. Right. Uh, because like they have no immunity to it. Uh, like so like that kind of being the connection to a virus, which I mean, you know, whatever. Uh, but like that, I, that was I like that. Especially, yeah. You know, we had the day the earth stood still in the beginning and then now we got this little wink here. I liked it. Definitely. Uh, so Goat Bloom kind of assembles everybody into the room where the big UFO is. Uh, and he tells Adam Baldwin, hey, shoot that Coke can. Like he put a Coke can up on the up on the yeah. UFO. It's like, all right, shoot the Coke can. And then he goes to shoot the Coke can and it gets blocked by the shield and the bullet flies all over the place. Yeah. Like the most wildly dangerous thing that happens in this movie. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, in a movie that has a lot of other people dying. This is like yeah. the, the one that's like, oh, my God, why would you do this? Yeah. But like there's a different way to make your point. Um, but that happens. And Goldman's like, okay, okay, my bad. All right, now shoot the cocaine again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so he does. And this time there's no shield. He shoots the cocaine off uh, really well. And then Goldman explains his virus can shut down their shields for a couple of minutes. Right. That's that's the thing. Right. Right? Like their shields will shut off for a few minutes and that'll give them enough time to uh, do a thing that he tells them to do in the uh, intro to this podcast. Uh, take them out. Take them out. Do your uh, do your stuff. <laughs> yes, that's right. It's another one of our uh, intro movies. How did you do that? I gave it a cold. I gave it a virus. A computer virus. Are you telling us you can send out a signal that will disable all their shields? That's right. Just like they used our satellites against us. We can use their own signal against them. If we plant a virus 
into that mother's ship. It's going to then filter down into all the corresponding ships below. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't understand. Just how exactly do we infect the mothership with this virus? We're, uh, we're going to uh, have to um, <clears throat> fly their alien craft out of our atmosphere and dock with it. We can enter here. Uh, as shown in the satellite photos, we then upload the virus. We then set off some kind of uh, explosion, which will disable it, and that'll disorient the smaller ships below, and that could buy it, I think, at least some time to, uh, to take them take out, take them down, do your... Do your stuff. Yeah, you know, I didn't even realize because, you know, uh, our theme song was composed by Kyle Cullen, our music supervisor, and uh, we gave him a few clips to uh, to choose from for the intro. And there's two that are in there from Jurassic Park. I didn't realize there are two in there from Independence Day also. <laughs> What's the other one? Uh, yes, yes, yes. Without the oops is also. Uh... Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought that sounded more familiar than it should have when yes. he said that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, like, and you know, when I asked Kyle, when he assembled the intro, like he told me that he took a few from like a couple of, uh, Goldblum interviews that he had done too. Uh, mm-hmm. so I thought, I think I thought that was a Goldblum interview thing and, uh, nope, it turns out <laughs> we got two independence day clips in there. So uh, how about that? Uh, but yeah, so Hiller volunteers to fly the ship. Will Smith will fly the UFO. Uh, and meanwhile, Whitmore fires Rebhorn, uh, James Rebhorn's character. Uh, and then what's really weird is that uh, Goldblum's ex-wife, Constance, she has a very Goldblum-esque line reading uh, where <laughs> she like after Whitmore fires Rebhorn uh, and Rebhorn's like, he can't do that. And she's like walking past and it's like he just uh, did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anytime someone says the word uh, in a line, you're like Goldblum. It's, it's immediately a golden mess thing. But I chose to read it because she was like Golden's ex-wife. She picked up some of his mannerisms. Uh, yeah. Over the, like it. <laughs> over the years. That tracks. Uh, that's what I got there. But uh, yeah, so they start connecting with the whole world through Morse code uh, to tell them of this one last plan. You see British troops in Iraq and you see uh, Russia's in and Japan is in. And everybody's in on this plan. Like they're ready to do this. This is like their last humanity's last hope. Basically, this is the last stand. Yeah. Uh, and Adam Baldwin starts looking for volunteers with flight experience at at Area 51 in the big convoy of RVs. And of course, Russ volunteers, Randy Quaid, because uh, he's looking for payback from those aliens. Uh, and he's saying, I won't let you down, sir. And all yeah. that stuff. And Adam Baldwin just kind of looks at him like, yeah, OK. <laughs> OK, yokel. <laughs> and then Goldblum and his wife, uh, they have a scene together where Goldblum's like, well, you know, I'm always trying to save the planet. Here's my chance. <laughs> Right. You know, yeah. Remember, I recycle. And he yeah. winks at the camera. <laughs> Always recycle <laughs> to the extreme. That's a Simpsons joke. And then there's a, a quick scene where uh, Will Smith and Jasmine, they get married, uh, yeah. you know, which uh, Will Smith is like, oh, something I should have done a long time ago. And he gives her the ring and all that stuff. And, you know, now, now he doesn't even need to enter the space program. He's about to go into space. They, like, yeah, <laughs> there's no there's no roadblock for him now because, uh, yeah, he and Jasmine can just get married. And Goldblum and Co- Goldblum and uh, Constance are the witnesses uh, to the marriage as well. I think it's the only time when Goldblum closes his shirt, actually, like, <laughs> closes <laughs> right. the flannel shirt. <laughs> <laughs> to be formal during Will Smith's wedding. <laughs> what a good guy. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and then it's the big scene. It's uh, after yes. this, Bill Pullman gives the speech. And we've, we've alluded to the speech a couple of times throughout this episode, Mike. But, uh, man, the Independence Day speech <laughs> is, other than the White House being blown up, probably the other most iconic thing about this movie. Uh, it yeah. is one of the great movie speeches, <laughs> like, ever. Good morning. In less than an hour, 
aircraft from here will join others from around the world. And you will be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. Mankind, that word should have new meaning for all of us today. We can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interest. Perhaps it's fate that today is the 4th of July. And you will once again be fighting for our freedom. Not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution. But from annihilation. We're fighting for our right to live. To exist. And should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday, but as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. Uh, and it is like sort of like a, a little bit of a subgenre where like before a huge battle at a movie, like, you know, somebody will make this big rousing speech and you have that in like Braveheart and you have that in like that Game of Thrones episode, Blackwater, right? Like Tyrion yeah. makes that big speech and all that stuff, which is actually a really funny like inversion of that kind of speech because it kind of ends on like, let's go kill them and all that stuff. Yeah, right. uh, but, you know, that, that, the reason you can do like an inversion of that kind of speech is because it's such a well-worn trope in so many different kinds of movies. Uh, yeah. Idris Elba has a great one in Pacific Rim also. Uh, oh, I forgot about that. They canceled the apocalypse in that today one. Today we are canceling the apocalypse. And wow, you got that that, a good Idris Elba too. <laughs> I'm busting out the Logias. I'm busting out the Elvas. <laughs> Hell yeah. The Firesteins. <laughs> a lot yeah, of good I mean, impressions. It, it's the, the St. Crispin's Day speech from, was it Richard III, I think? Uh, that's or? Henry V, I think. Henry V. Henry V, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, you're totally right. The St. Crispin's Day speech is a, is a good example. That, that is probably the original version of, right. <laughs> of this troupe. Uh, but the Bill Pullman Independence Day speech, it's, it's an all-timer. You know, it's one of those things, I don't think I could, like, recite the entire thing from memory, but when I'm watching it, I can recite the entire thing from memory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know? like, I, like, I did the same thing as Bill, like, in... In the speech, he does it. There's a part where he's like, you know, for all mankind. And then he kind of looks away. He's like, mankind, that that word should have new meaning for all of us today. And I did the same like head turn that he does when he says <laughs> mankind, <laughs> like reciting it along with him. <laughs> Amazing. So, so good. And, you know, the last few uh, lines of the speech where he's just shouting like, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today we celebrate our Independence Day and the entire crowd fucking goes wild. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, as they should. Yeah, both within the movie and presumably like in every movie theater across the country. <laughs> I, uh, I have to imagine people were jazzed for that yes. when this was happening. Absolutely. And you know what the crazy thing about that is? That final line, today we celebrate Independence Day, not in the script. What? <laughs> he improvised that? Uh, sort of. Uh, so the way it works, I guess there was a movie in the 80s that was called Independence Day. Uh -huh. uh, and 20th Century Fox did not have the rights to use the title Independence Day. Uh, like that was a Warner Brothers movie. And so they didn't have the rights to use this. So during the production of this movie, um, they called it uh, ID4. Like it was just kind of filming under the code name ID4 with the hope that like 
20th Century Fox would go into a legal battle to get the rights to use that title. Right. Uh, and then on the day of filming, they added that line in there to try to convince Fox to call it Independence Day. Amazing. <laughs> Uh, and that is what they did. They entered the legal battle so they could use the name Independence Day because that line was so good. Uh, and it got such a huge reaction and like test screenings and stuff that uh, they had to use it. And I'm sure it was probably in the trailers and stuff for this movie, too. Like, it's such a oh, yeah. perfect line uh, and, you know, a perfect way to sell this movie. Like, yeah, it's Independence Day. That's the name of the movie. Without that line, you don't have the title for this movie. <laughs> it tracks, honestly. Yeah. Uh, so Bill Pullman gives the speech. It's awesome. It's one of the best uh, things ever. And then as soon as he finished the speech, he's getting in a jet, too. The president of the United <laughs> yeah. States is getting in a fighter jet and he's going to take down the aliens himself. <laughs> I, it's pretty funny. Like, I don't, there's that line that scene where Loja comes up to him and he's like, uh, sir, what are you what are you doing? As he's like putting on the flight suit stuff. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, I'm a, I'm a warrior. I'm a combat pilot. And he's like, are you? Is what me as an audience <laughs> member is like. Did they establish this already? I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they, they, they mentioned that he fought in the Gulf War. That was his thing. Right. But like, uh, <laughs> did they mention that he's a like a fighter pilot? Um, uh, I, well, the thing is, Mike, everybody in this movie is a fighter pilot. <laughs> True. There's not actually L.A. is just fighter pilots. It's, <laughs> it's a town that's populated solely of fighter pilots and no one else. Yeah. Um, but yes. Yeah. So Whitmore gets in the jet and he is going for it. And that's the moment where this really turns into like, oh, man, this is like every scene in this last half hour is like, fuck, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, it is like the uh, the Team America World Police, like America. Fuck, yeah. Like Absolutely. it's that for a half hour. <laughs> yeah. And it's and but like the thing is, it's it's cool. It rules. It rules <laughs> so hard. Yeah, it's it's jingoistic as hell. Uh, and it you know, problematic maybe in that respect. But like, man, watching it like you get swept up in it. It's so cool. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Whitmore's getting in the jet. And after he does, you know, Hiller and Goldblum, they're getting ready to get in the UFO themselves and they're going to fly to the mothership. And Julius uh, Goldblum's dad, he gives them two cigars like Hiller's got had this tradition with uh, Jimmy where uh, after they would do a mission, they would each smoke a big cigar. Uh, and so, you know, it's kind of his good luck charm, like after a mission, you got to do that. And then so they're in the ship. Goldblum's laptop is a uh, HAL 9000 from 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> What? I don't think I noticed that. Oh, yeah. It like powers up and it's like the red light. And it's like, oh, how are you doing today? Goldblum. And oh, <laughs> he's uh, which is pretty great. Uh, and, you know, you see Russ getting in his fighter jet and he's like, oh, I picked a hell of a day to quit drinking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I liked it. Yes. And then uh, Hiller, like, you know, the spaceship starts flying and he almost crashes the ship uh, yeah. because he has the controls backwards. <laughs> uh, and he's going to like, oops. And uh, it's like, let's try that again, shall we? And Goldblum's like, yes, yes. Yes, yeah, about the oops. And there we go. There it uh, is. That's the, well, there it is. Uh, <laughs> Hiller and Goldblum start flying. They get picked up by a tractor beam. Hiller was not aware that this was going to be part of the plan. Right. <laughs> and, Gold, and Goldblum's like, oh, yeah, that was, this is was always the plan. It's like, well, you got to tell me these things. And Goldblum's like, oops. <laughs> it's like we have got to work on our communication skills and like every every exchange that Goldman Will Smith have in this movie is so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, like, like we talked about before, like I can't believe they weren't in more buddy comedies or anything uh, right. together because they're yeah. perfect. Goldman should have been in Hitch is what you're saying. Like, uh, yes. that, like he should have replaced Kevin James in the movie Hitch. That actually like you could probably say any, about <laughs> say that about any Kevin James movie and it'll <laughs> probably like dramatically improve. <laughs> Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But uh, but yeah, I think uh, a Will Smith Goldblum hitch uh, or hitch two. you know, it's not too late to make hitch two. Guys. No, it's not. Uh, definitely uh, worth considering. But uh, yeah. All right. So they enter the mothership. There's millions of aliens inside millions, 
maybe not millions, thousands of millions inside. There's a lot of millions. There are a lot. And they're being pulled in with the tractor beam. And Will Smith realizes, like, wait, they can see us. What what are we doing? And Golden's like, oh, no, don't worry. This thing comes with power windows. And they close the windows uh, on the UFO. And uh, so Goldblum's in on the computer and he's uploading the virus. Uh, And meanwhile, Whitmore and all the jets, they're flying towards the ship. Goldblum says they, you know, the virus is in. They uploaded it and it's completed. So Whitmore takes a shot, but the shield is still up. It does not get through. And then Loja's like, all right, no, we got to pull back, pull back, everybody. And Whitmore's like, you know what? I'm going to take one more shot. Yeah. (laughs) Fires another missile. It gets through. The shield is down, everybody. It's happening. It is happening. Uh, And so Goldblum and Will Smith are stuck in the ship. Uh, But meanwhile, like there's, you know, fighter jets all over the place. It's like shooting down alien ships and shooting the ship and all that stuff. And they accidentally open the windows on their own ship. Goldblum and (laughs) Will Smith uh, and Goldblum's like, uh, hide in the down. Uh, and so there's, you know, pandemonium up in the air. There's also pandemonium down on at Area 51. You see uh, James Redhorn joining uh, Judd Hirsch's prayer group, right. uh, which is part of it. And it's like, I'm not Jewish. It's like, well, nobody's perfect. And then like, yeah, <laughs> after that, you see like the two the two kids get together. They're like May, like the president's uh, daughter and Will Smith's kid. Uh, yeah. And they're like, are you scared? Yeah, me too. And like, just, you know, this movie does a really good job of like working every character into the chaos, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Once they uh, they realize that, like, the ship is moving towards Area 51, like it knows where they are. Yeah. Uh, and I forget. I think uh, Constance says that to you, to uh, one of the soldiers. I forget who. And it's like, well, what about all the people outside? And they're like, oh, shit. And they like scramble to bring everyone inside the bunker. And that's when it's just chaos down there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and now the ship is exposed. But. The ammo for the human side is exhausted. Like nobody right. has any missiles left. Uh, and so the ship is exposed. Like basically like, anytime they open their hull to like shoot, shoot their big weapon, uh, the ship is like sort of exposed. There's a weakness there. Uh, and, you know, Whitmore's like, oh, man, I want to get that, get in there and shoot that ship. But I can't. I'm out of ammo. And then you hear Russ going, sorry, I'm late, Mr. President. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah, this scene's awesome, honestly. Yeah, this moment. It's, it's so fucking cool. It's like a genuinely like inspiring moment. I think. <laughs> I yeah. Think. When, uh, when the three other pl- like planes, like, you know, line up as his wingman and then president Whitmore is like, let's plow the road boys. <laughs> Fucking epic. So, so cool. And so, yeah, Russ gets in there and he, Russ tries to launch his missile. He's got one left, but it's jammed. Uh, and everybody's like, Oh man, you tried man, but we get it. And then, you know, Russ has his like moment in his, uh, in his eyes. And he's like, tell my children, I love them very much. And like his son is watching from the control room, too. And yeah. he's like, oh, my God, what is dad doing? <laughs> and then, I mean, there's like several great lines that Randy Quaid has in like really quick succession here. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of which is sorry, I'm late, Mr. President. And then uh, as he's like flying towards the mothership, he's like, all right, you alien assholes. <laughs> in the words of my generation, up your. <laughs> and he just guns it. Yeah, he's gunning it and he's like going up the uh, the blue bead that's firing down from the ship. Yeah. And then and then there's the big scene where he's, you know, close up on his face. The blue light is flashing on him and he's hello, boys, <laughs> I'm back. And then, you know, he sacrifices himself and blows up the entire ship. Oh, it's the coolest shit ever. It is so great. Uh, and, you know, you, and again, this movie punctuates like all of those awesome moments with massive amounts of cheering within the movie. too. Yeah. It seems like uh, because it's just to let you know, this is a moment where you should be cheering, basically. Right. 
you know, right after the Independence Day speech and then right here where he sacrifices himself and blows up the ship, the entire control room goes apeshit. Uh, and, you know, like, we got to spread the word around the world about how to take out these ships and all that stuff, which did make me think, like, is everybody going to send in one guy to just sacrifice themselves? <laughs> that was exactly what I thought. Also. Like, you got to crash your plane into it. Yeah, basically. Uh, and, you know, his son has that uh, moment where he's like kind of stunned. And Adam Baldwin's like, you should be very proud of what your dad did. And it's like, I am like, that's, you know, yeah. uh, that kind of thing. And then, the, then you don't see the son ever again. I don't think. Uh, yeah, get out of the movie. <laughs> get out of here. Uh, and then we go back to inside the mothership. Uh, Hiller and Goldblum are lighting up their cigars. They realize like they uh, Goldblum says checkmate again. And I forget why. <laughs> yeah, they can't. They, when they got pulled into the tractor beam, they got like docked uh, in their ship yes. and they were trying to leave and they couldn't get off the thing and they couldn't figure out why, like, how, what was happening. Uh, so yeah. they kind of realized, like, well, we just have to detonate the nuke anyway. And that's pretty much exactly what they decided to do. So they light up their cigars thinking this is the end of the mission. Uh, and then they open the window. Windows, and they're just like taunting the alien from uh, from so the window good. of their ship. And Goldblum's like, "Ah, oh, take a look at the Earthlings!" Oh, <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> hey, all right. Look at us. Take a look at the Earthlings. Goodbye. I'll take care. All right. Number love. Number love for you. You think you have any clue what's about to happen to him? Oh, not a chance in hell. Good night. We're loose. You get us out of here in 30 seconds? I heard no fat lady! Forget the fat lady, you're obsessed with the fat lady. Drive us out of here. All that stuff. And then they fire the missile at the alien. And uh, when they do, they get loose. Like they they shoot another virus at it and they get loose. So they get loose and they're like, oh, man, we have a few seconds to get out of the ship before it explodes entirely. Uh, And Will Smith's like, I didn't hear a fat lady yet. And Goldblum's like, enough about the fat lady. You're obsessed about the fat lady. We got to get out of here. Yeah, because that's the thing. They can't smoke smoke the cigars till the fat lady sings. uh, Yes. And they start smoking them. They think they're going to (laughs) die. Right. Um, and then and then Goldblum says must go faster. He says the thing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which uh, obviously must go faster was a, a big line of his from Jurassic Park. And uh, like I, like we mentioned in that episode, Roland Emmerich liked that line so much. He's like, hey, why don't you just say that again? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that is exactly what happens. Although although when he says it, he's not on screen, which makes the thing which makes you think it's like an ADR. Like I think he is know. on screen. No, I think it's it's when they're um like they're they're flying and you, it's you you see like the doors closing. Yeah, uh, you're, you're like watching the doors closing as you hear must go faster, must go faster, must go faster. Oh, OK, <laughs> uh, which which makes me think like, oh, it was one of those things like after they finished filming, like uh, Emmerich was like, hey, why don't you just, you know, <laughs> record yeah. that line real quick. Or he could have even just used like the line from Jurassic <laughs> Park. <laughs> just like taking the audio and put it right in there. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, they they narrowly escape the mothership before the ship closes and it explodes. Uh, and Will Smith has that line like Elvis has left the building and the mothership explodes. Yep. <laughs> uh, and as that happens, the ships start to go down all over the world uh, and they did it. They stopped the aliens. It happened. Yeah. 
They say they, they this is their Independence Day. No, I couldn't think of how to tie that back in. Um, but yeah, they succeed. It was fucking cool. They blew up a whole lot of shit. And then we get that epic, you know, final shot kind of thing of Goldblum yes. and Will Smith walking out of the desert with the cigars in their mouths. Yeah. Oh, man. So, yeah, they, they think that Goldblum and Will Smith died in the explosion. Right. That's right. like their thing uh, because they lost contact with them a while ago. But then they start picking up a signal somewhere in the desert and they drive out there and it's Whitmore and, the, and uh, you know, his daughter and Goldblum's ex-wife and uh Jasmine and all of them, and they find Goldblum and Hiller just like walking in the desert with their shirts open, chopping on a big cigar, got sunglasses on, the yeah. biggest grins in the world on their faces. Yeah, <laughs> like, uh, it's like just a, it's such a great movie star shot, like especially for Will Smith because this is like his movie basically, but right. for Goldblum also, uh, like they're both so so great like in that shot, uh, and you know they get there and like they're both their wives just like run at them and like tackle <laughs> tackle them, mm-hmm. uh, and Whitmore like goes to Goldblum's like not bad. David, not bad. <laughs> yeah. All that. Uh, and then, you know, they're just kind of hanging out and it's July 4th. And, you know, Will Smith looks, turns to uh, Nikki from Fresh Prince and he's like, I promised you fireworks, didn't I? <laughs> right. And then they pan up to the mothership or not the mothership, uh, the big ship over the desert just kind of yeah. exploding. It explodes. And then that is the end of Independence Day. <laughs> what a good movie. Yeah, man, really good. It, it held up a lot better than I thought it would, actually. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think part of that is because typically, like I said, I watched this movie a lot on cable back in the day. Uh, and so I would watch it, you know, partially censored, you know, broken up into 20 minute chunks like, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> TV commercials and stuff. So I hadn't really given it like a real fair shake in a long time, I guess. But it is just a really fun disaster movie. Uh, and the kind the kind of movie that I feel like, even though I feel like it was a turning point for blockbusters and like the reason blockbusters exist in their current form now is partially because of Independence Day. You don't get a ton of movies like Independence Day anymore, at least not on that scale, you know? Yeah, I guess really only when uh, Roland Emmerich makes movies, because then 2012, which <laughs> right. is a garbage movie, but I really like that movie. Producer Colin also really enjoys that movie. So, yeah, yeah, I, it, it, I didn't connect the like outright just disaster movie DNA of this of this, like having yeah. the giant ensemble cast and like it just kind of being about that rather than it being I always, you know, it's the alien movie. Uh, sure. But it is also the disaster alien movie. Yeah, definitely. But I feel like, you know, just it, when you get a disaster movie now, I think the biggest one that we've had over the last few years was San Andreas, which was the yeah. the one with the rock, which was a movie that you know was OK. I, I feel like it was a hit when it came out, but no one ever talks about it now. It never it didn't ha- it did not have the cultural impact of Independence Day. No, uh, for sure. But, uh, you know, beyond that, I mean, there's movies like Geostorm or like uh, there was. <laughs> A recent there was a recent one with Gerard Butler uh, that I'm blanking on. I mean, he was also in Geostorm, I think. But he I, was. My parents were trying to watch this movie with me the other day, and I was like, no. What the new one? The, the, yeah, the, one the that new Gerard Butler movie, and I forget yeah. what it's called. Man, I, I saw the trailer for this at a drive-in, and I was like, this actually looks like it could be a lot of fun, just being a, like a big-scale disaster movie and stuff. But like, I've heard it's really bad. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I just I can't remember what the title of that was for whatever reason. But you know, there there are movies that come out that are disaster movies and ha- like promise the wide-scale destruction and stuff. But nothing has like really touched upon the culture in a way that independent in the way that Independence Day has in yeah. that in that time, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. This is definitely the one that like has and will stick around probably. Yeah. So yeah, Independence Day. Uh it rules. Uh and we finally reached it. Uh we're now in that glorious one year period where Jeff Goldblum is in the top two highest grossing movies of all time. <laughs> Technically, the most bankable actor in uh, the one year. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, But all right. So I think that brings us to the end of our Independence Day discussion. Before we get out of here, got to talk some letterbox reviews, Mike. Got to see what the people think about Independence Day. Yes. 
Uh, so let's get into it. Here's a three and a half star review from the Poetic Critic, our friend, which reads, I loved it then. Would I have called it art? No, I did understand why critics booed. Act one so strong, but then the second part is flabby. Act three better, I conclude, that while it's corny, it knows that it is. It has a lot of heart and warmth as well. Pick on it if you must, but that's showbiz. Far worse films have been giant hits, do tell. <laughs> yeah. Which is a good point. And yeah, when Independence Day came out, it was a movie that got like okay reviews. I think it has like a 65 in Rotten Tomatoes or something like that. Like nothing crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it was more of a movie that was uh, it, like the reason this movie was so successful was mostly because of its marketing campaign and like how it like pushed people to see it and all that stuff. It had a really successful one. Even, even Roger Eber called it like one of the great marketing campaigns of all time for a movie wow. or something like that. Uh, so there is that. But yeah, there are there are a lot worse big movies than than Independence Day. Uh, Just thinking like the Transformers movies, for example, like so many of them are so bad and so incomprehensible. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And they and they kind of stem out of Independence Day, right? They're all about like like that that wide scale destruction, aliens coming down to Earth and all that. But they're nonsense. They're complete nonsense. Independence (laughs) Day is Independence Day is nonsense, but it's like clear and concise nonsense. I get everything's going on in Independence Day, you know? Yeah, like it's shenanigans that Goldblum's MacBook uh, can do that. Um, <laughs> right. But like it's it's an it's fine. No, it's not that important. Yeah, exactly. Here's a two and a half star review from Jared, which reads an idiotic film, not without its charms. Independence Day is an absurd, insincere and terribly written blockbuster that is tough to hate on solely because of how at home it was at the time of its release. Culturally, Independence Day is about as America as they come. Merely a two and a half hour big tobacco, coke and middle class pandering piece of advertising pepper with militaristic government propaganda and assertions of American calls to action as a unifying internationally peacemaking force. Still, though, Pullman's speech and Jeff Goldblum almost make it worth it. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, that, that speech really does a lot of the heavy lifting for Independence Day. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You spend the hour uh, or almost two hours waiting to get to that point. Oh, man, it's it's so, so good. Here's a five star review from Austin Shermer, which reads, there is a lot of things wrong with this country, but Will Smith punching aliens in the face is not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I can relate to that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, here's a three and a half star review from Scott Anderson, which reads, I just watched Independence Day three times in one sitting. <laughs> Almost literally, I only really stood up to use the restroom. My father-in-law just left it on all day and I just kept on watching it. Uh <laughs> I couldn't help but wonder what healthy, ambitious people were doing today. Probably healthy, ambitious activities, suckers. Uh, I had flashbacks to when I was a little turd kid and watched Empire Strikes Back on repeat. Only that is one of the greatest films ever made. And this is Roland Emmerich. (laughs) (laughs) Not afraid to admit it, though. It was a pretty great day. (laughs) That sounds pretty awesome, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds like a pretty good day right there. And finally, got one more. It's a four star review. This kind of a long one from Matthew Lewis, uh, which I did some digging to find out if this was the same Matthew Lewis who played Neville Longbottom in the Harry Potter movies and inconclusive were my, (laughs) were my findings. Although like in in his letterbox bio, he says he's a British 20 something. Uh, and I was like, well, Neville Longbottom from the Harry Potter movies by now is a British 20 something. (laughs) Yeah. So possibly (laughs) this could be the guy. So this could be a review from Neville Longbottom from the Harry Potter movies. I do not know, but (laughs) 
<laughs> but here's a four star review, which reads, God, this is so 90s. Regardless of the film's overall quality, I do think this is a damn fine time capsule of a decade that feels so simple in comparison to today. You can tell this film is pre 9-11 for starters. Uh, Lindsay Ellis did a great video comparing this to War of the Worlds, which was post 9-11, and how in spite of the fairly similar plots, the tone couldn't be more different. This was really made at a time when images of famous American monuments being destroyed was novel and unthinkable. How naive we all were. Watching this for the first time in years, I'm struck by how much the first half of this film just absolutely slaps. <laughs> I was really hooked with the buildup with watching people slowly trying to figure out just what is happening. The way people across the world react to the aliens existence, the growing tension as they begin to realize the aliens are hostile, the figurative and literal countdowns to the aliens finally attacking. The second half doesn't grab me as much. It's a bit flabbier and a little meandering, but the film's massive cast, which stereotypes aside, presents a diverse and positive representation of America, carried the film through. This is obviously Will Smith in his prime, and I could just watch him badmouth aliens like a cocky son of a bitch forever. Is the film cheesy? Yes. But in its message about worldwide unity and teamwork, we have a film that feels important besides its historic value as a benchmark blockbuster. I'd say the closest equivalent we've had in recent years is Pacific Rim. Uh, and President Whitmore's speech is still sending shivers down my spine. Uh, which, yeah, I think actually we let's mentioned it before, but Pacific Rim might be the closest we've had to an Independence Day type movie, like, at least on that scale, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the plot of Arrival is the is close, uh, like the <laughs> sure. ultimate conclusion. Uh, sure, but Arrival is more about talking out your differences than yeah, oh, I, I was going <laughs> to say. It it's not even close to being the same movie. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think pr- probably Pacific Rim is the p- most similar, like straight ahead plot yeah. wise kind of movie. Yeah, in terms of just like, you know, aliens and inv- like not even aliens, but like interdimensional things, whatever, monsters yeah. uh, invading and, you know, having to fight it. And, you know, in that, that movie, there's a lot of differences. Obviously, there's a giant robot that the people have to control and fight the monsters with and all that stuff and in Pacific Rim. But there are some similarities. Actually, this like I did think about Pacific Rim and Independence Day when the aliens like screech started like affecting the minds of Whitmore and Oaken, because that's something that happens to Charlie Day in Pacific Rim. Uh, and Pacific Rim really explores that a lot more. Right. Yeah. He's like actually like going deep into Charlie Day's mind, like figuring out like what's going on, like and he can see the plan and knows what's going on, all that stuff. And then the sequel, he's like the bad guy, I think. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he got like infected by their plan or something. Yeah, the sequel was not very good, but <laughs> but, the, but the original Pacific Rim, very very good. Highly recommend people watch that. But uh, all right, so I think that's it. I think that that is a wrap on Independence Day, Mike. Yeah, we made it. We did it. Yeah, another one of the uh, the biggest movies for us to talk about uh, on this podcast. And by the way, in a couple of weeks. We'll be talking about one of Mike's favorite movies, uh, The Lost World Jurassic Park. Hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> which I'm, I'm guessing will be another big episode because that, that's going to be a really interesting one because Jurassic Park and Independence Day, both movies that we've both seen a million times and like can talk about it for a while. The Lost World Jurassic Park, I've seen once, like in its entirety. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've seen uh, The Lost World and uh, I saw it like my freshman year of college. Like it wasn't even when I was a kid. Holy uh, shit. <laughs> But that is like a seminal movie for you. And so I'm excited to uh, like see how I react to it again, because I wasn't super positive on it yeah. uh, when I watched it back when I was uh, in college. But uh, I'm looking forward to checking that out. But that's not for a couple of weeks. We got we got a little bit of ways to go before we get there. What's next, Mike? Uh, well, I will tell you what's next in just a minute. First, I got to ask you, Mike, where can we find you online this week? <laughs> you can find me at MD Film Blog on Twitter and Letterboxd. 
You can find me online at uh, M Smith Film Blog on Twitter, Mike Smith Film on Letterboxd, and Radio Mike Sandwich on Instagram. Uh, thank you for listening to Complete Works. I'm Mike Smith. That's Mike DeCrescio. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, you can hit us up at Jeff Goldblum, Complete Works at gmail.com. You can find the rest of our podcast on Rapture Press alongside the totally original Geek News Podcast, which is a podcast about comic books and movie news and all that nerdy stuff. And you can follow this podcast on Twitter at Goldblum Pod. Uh, our theme song was created by Kyle Cullen, who you can reach for your own podcast themes at Kyle's podcast themes at gmail.com. And our logo was designed by Jacob honey cuts or at Jacob honey on Twitter. Uh, join us next week on the complete works. We mentioned this was a good time to be Jeff Goldblum, Mike, and it really was. Uh, we'll be talking about Jeff Goldblum's only Oscar nomination next week. Whoa. Yeah. And it was not for acting. It was actually for directing. Uh, in 1996, Jeff Goldblum directed a short film called Little Surprises, which is only about a half hour long, nominated for best live action short at the Oscars. And that is going to be next week's episode. Oh, yeah. That could be really right. interesting. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, checking that one out. Uh, plus, you can keep listening for our bonus episodes of Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. This week, uh, our buddy Vin Craig is joining us to talk Hell Comes to Frogtown, because why not? I mean, that's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, what else you got going on, you know? Yeah, th- there are major historical events happening around the country right now, but nothing is as important as us talking about Hell Comes to Frog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so thanks so much for listening, guys. And remember to go for the gold bloom.